Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Yeah. Reva, you can fade that on down there. People can go check that out if they want to hear yes, that. I know can. you might have noticed that was Dave Elkins from May uh, mm-hmm. being backed up by me and Devin and Toby. We yep. did a collaboration with him last week on our Sunday Streamo show called Are You Listening? Which uh, has turned out to be quite a hit. So I'll just It's, it's that basically, it, I mean, it's not on Netflix, but it would be in the top ten on Netflix. It, yeah. yeah, if we turned them down. Yeah, we we said no Netflix. We ain't no corporate thing. It's too corporate for us. Yeah, they, I, don't, uh, I don't. I'm not a shill. They don't give us. You know, Netflix doesn't give you access to the analytics. I said no deal. No, I would like you. to see how many several hundred people watch our show. Yeah, I said to them. So just the, like uh, just like we turned down Tooth and Nail for I'm Only a Man, we uh, right. we're gonna we're gonna pass on Netflix <laughs> for the bigger. The bigger streaming service. Man, it, if you could go back in time, that might be the day that you go back to and say, hey, oh, wait, I know, but let me tell you how it turns out. How many hundreds of thousands of dollars was that? We, we said no to A lot. A lot. Moving on. Anyway, we have Daniel Dopp on the podcast today from ESPN, who's a longtime music guy, and we'll talk to him in a little bit. And obviously, we have Devin Shelton on. We've just Mm -hmm. got into the groove of hanging out online. We're streaming. We stream the Monday and Friday shows for the Bad Christian Club. We do the Sunday night show, Are You Listening?, and we do Bad Christian on Wednesdays, and we've started to get better with our green screens, as you can tell, and our technology and all that, and we're having a blast. So we're also looking at the comments, so if anybody's out there watching and you want to comment during the show, good chance we will be seeing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, today's show is sponsored by Stamps.com. You can get a four-week free trial plus free postage and a digital scale by going to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and enter our code BADCHRISTIAN. That's Stamps.com, promo code BADCHRISTIAN. All right. Guys, I think I'm going to go insane if we can't get past the use of the terminology in these uncertain times. I don't know about y'all, <laughs> but I've had it as much as I can possibly take with that. I cannot hear these unprecedented times or these uncertain times anymore. Every time I hear it, it make it sets this alarm off in me like it's some fake corporate, I don't know what it is, but did y'all notice that? And it's only been in the last week or two, but that, that phrase, I can't take it again. Officially off, officially off with that one. 
I guess that it is a way to, to every. I was thinking about it today. Like, so Jess and I were talking about it, and like uh, I said this last week or the week before or whatever, Jess got furloughed from her job, and we were just talking about what the future looks like and what'll happen, and I felt that way. I was like, <laughs> I felt like saying these uncertain times. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't, but it does feel like it, it, there's never been a more time on earth to use that phrase, and it, it is really true. Like, I it is can, true. I just cannot. I, the, the most exhausting thing of my life is... There is zero uh, clarity on tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> I might wake up tomorrow and, I, I mean, I, I texted this to you guys today. I, I read an article today about how Africa not only is going through COVID-19, but a, like, a plague swarm of mm-hmm. locusts. Yep. Like, that's real. It's not a joke. I mean, there, there's a tornado warning in the South Carolina, North Carolina area tonight. I mean, it's like, I mean, there was earthquakes aliens. And, and fires. We have official and, aliens Aliens. Alien. Uh, uh, UFO. <laughs> UFOs, I mean, but like, still. There, there's part of me that just thinks, this is it. <laughs> right? Like, I was always told, I grew up in the most, the smallest, charismatic you know, charismaniac, evangelical church, Devin, the exact same. And they always talked about, I mean, I remember going to a church where there was a plane on fire. The, the portrait, it was a picture hanging on the wall of a plane going down. And then there was these bodies that were floating up to the sky because it was the rapture. <laughs> that was that hanging was a, on the wall in that your was church. A, yes, that was a picture hanging <laughs> on the wall. Somebody drew that, a plane on fire, going down. I don't know how it got on fire immediately, but it was already on fire and going. And I, so my whole life has been the rapture, and this is what it's going to look like. There's going to be all this, this, and this. And I, I'm telling you, I'm really at the point where if somebody shows up and then dies but is resurrected, I'm in. It is the rapture. Okay, Revelation so what would is you real. do? What would it take, and what would you actually do in your behavior differently if you actually started oh, you to don't actually? Ask this question. <laughs> I'm just saying, what would you change about either your lifestyle or okay, what would I, I've happen, already thought what, about it, this, man. <laughs> I, I promise you, I swear this sucks. Shit, this is so. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I promise I've already thought about this. I swear to you, Jess's uncle <laughs> lives out in the middle of nowhere, Missouri, and has uh, like. Uh, cattle farming he does mm-hmm. cattle farming but lives out in the middle of nowhere and th- there jess's family has some land out there her mom has some land out there i was like we will go out into the middle of nowhere and i will build a house with my own two hands mm-hmm. <laughs> I- i'll just try to sell everything do whatever we can collect some cash and i'll go out there and i will just try to have some cattle and do a farm and just stay away from everything and not try to need the mark of the beast or, or any of that stuff. Like I promise that those thoughts have come through. I know that's bizarre and uh, uh, outrageous. And but what it, would it take it, to get you to believe it? And I'm like, telling you, you know, like if some leader rises up and then mysteriously dies and then is resurrected as a hero. That's you'll just it. go back to yes, believing I, revelation. I, I swear. I, literally. Th- that is it. <laughs> I am gone. Will you start studying revelation literally if, and choose? If Donald like, Trump you... dies tomorrow and three days from now, he's all of a sudden he's like, I came back to life and guess what I can do? I am well, won't be, I won't be able to talk you, will, you out of it at that point. You will never hear from me again. You will never see me. Y'all won't hear from me again. Not just not the people listening. No, y'all won't. Reva will never talk to me again. <laughs> Ever. I'm not joking. I will be I gone. You, I, I'm going to smash our cell phones, and then we're going to get in our van. I'm going to leave everything and be gone because it's the end of the world. 
what, I mean, was, what's the plan, though? That, I mean, Devin, what? you know what I'm talking about. I mean, you were told this your whole life. Does Devin even hear us? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, oh did you? I'm sorry, I didn't hear my name. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I heard the rant. Yes, I'm I saying, would. I, I you, honestly would be the exact same, I think. If. <laughs> I mean, there's all these things that are happening, and I and I feel like there's always a part of me that's like, is this it? I mean, my, my right. faith and my ideas have changed a lot, right? But I, but I I'm more still, open minded. I mean, I, I'm more still, loving, but but you're never gonna lose that internal like uh, foundation that was right. built when you're just a kid in church. You know what I mean? Like it's always right. gonna be there a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> you know you, what I mean? Like you know, how, point, Matt, you and Reva, Daniel, you, yeah. Y'all weren't taught like this, were you? You didn't know I wasn't knowing revelation and the end times or anything like that. No, I wasn't. I, how yeah, frustrated really. do you think I would be if uh, Reva was? H- how mad do you think I'd be if y'all just like peace out and I think everything's fine <laughs> and I just can't get y'all to oh, talk to you me? Would be like, so I mean, come mad. on, like what, what links would, would I go so to? So mad, get like, in touch oh, with they're you. They're so or, stupid. I, Why are they? So what are you talking about? You're gonna move out to the. <laughs> <laughs> it's been foretold i mean it, it, literally it's like it's like i mean i'm not joking everything that i was ever told is literally happening right now like i read a i'm not joking there's a yeah. article about an unbelievable amount of locusts attacking and that probably maybe that happened last year too and the year before i don't know okay so i can understand a little bit of that but i mean everything i mean Tornadoes, uh, climate change, nation against nation. We no could one easily trusts get each other. famine. I mean, we could easily pandemic. get famine because yeah, there's of a the famine pandemic. coming. Oh, I mean, yeah. There might there be a famine coming. Be. There could like, be I mean, food there, shortages yeah. or something like famines in some places. It's definitely possible. So right. That's going to ramp it up. I mean, I, I'm just, I'm just. I, I, it, at some point, I have to go. Okay, I just I'll go with it. Well, that, well, that's what's interesting about it is there's lots of things, and, and again, I'm not there anymore. I mean, I studied the end times when I was like high school and college. I thought it was so interesting, but also right. a little scary. So it kind of made you like, you know, feel like almost safe to know that you knew it. You know what I mean? That's just what people feel. Right. But it is coincidental, right? I mean, let's say guys two two thousand years ago, whatever write these books about all these things that they see and there's there eventually is a one world currency there's eventually a one world you know what i mean like it wasn't like something that just automatically made sense to these people at the time right mm-hmm. yep it just it, it just, but in your mind you think well this sure is coincidental mm-hmm. that all these things were in there and now are actually happening so i think there's always probably going to be a little part of me regardless of where i land with my faith that always kind of is like oh wait a second that reminds me of that that reminds me of that so I'm yeah, trying to look it, up. There there was 12 prophecies or something in Revelation. You know what I mean? Like there's the 12 yeah. things that would happen to signify the end of the world. And I don't... Uh, uh, well, I'm I mean, going to say that conspi- that's the original conspiracy theory, I think, because I think you can quite very much can be a Christian without even having end time stuff. So that, that I don't think that even needs to be said. But that is the original conspiracy theory, right? The, all the end time stuff. It seems like it's like the... The one that stuck around from from the get go. It's mysterious. It gives you answers. It sticks around because those things that are in there, famine and earthquakes and war and rumors of war, whatever, all that stuff, those are real things that come up time and time again. War and rumors history. of war. So it kind of right. makes sense that they are in, survive in the book that way. But it is the conspiracy theory. And I tell you what, I've started to, and I don't want to sound like 
totally ridiculous here because I, I, <laughs> I like to make fun of conspiracy theories almost more as much as anything. I love to combat them and t- call people stupid for liking them and stuff like that. Right. But I am really starting to admire them. I really am starting to admire their creativity and how quick they are and how fast they can come up with a new one and better than I could come up with. So right. I've started to appreciate the art form of it and wonder – is it not just very satisfying to just sit around and wait till something happens and then see if you can generate the conspiracy theory? That actually sounds really fun, like a challenge. Because as soon as the, the one, they come out with, like, whether it's the 5G thing or whatever, they right. come up with creative stuff and fast, and it gets out very there. And it's quickly. like a group project, and it's a collaboration between everybody. And if they can, and if they can get it to, like, stump people or irritate people like me and get them all frustrated, they, that, that's a victory. I mean that's a fun game, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's I mean, and and there might be something where they're getting easier and easier to believe because the real stuff has gotten so fucking wacky lately. Both of the natural things that happen, and the more right. we learn about our government and institutions and the problems that they have, they start to sound more believable. So it makes the whole ground more and more fertile. But I I've, I've started to actually have a little bit more respect for them because. Puts you in a position to where to deny them all makes you look worse and stupider and stupider. So I guess I'm going to even, I'm going to lighten up on conspiracy theorists because it seems like it's so insane. Like the, their point isn't necessary. I don't take it as believe this specific conspiracy theory. I don't take it that way. Flat Earth, 5G, nothing. However, it's starting to seem more and more like it is possible for there to be some crazy things. And if you're that close-minded to everything, then that seems to be more and more of a liability. I'm starting to really see it that way. Like maybe I've been too close-minded. Now, I think they're all ridiculous, and I don't think any one of them is true probably. But, you know, the reality is getting so bizarre that I think that's their point is to show you can't just have your head in the sand and say everything's normal. That's maybe the whole point of the – the territory of conspiracy theories. I'm starting to find them slightly more compelling. It, it just is crazy that I live, I, there is no way not to live with some kind of fear or doubt. Now it's not fear where I'm like in panic. I mean, today we sat out in the backyard and played in the inflatable pool and I drank a beer and just, it was a really nice afternoon. So Overall, in the history of the world, there's been other times like this, and they were way worse. <laughs> there's been other times where they didn't have like air condition and the grocery store down the street, and everything's been okay so far. And I know that's mostly maybe my privilege in living in America. I get that. But seemingly, overall, we're in the best time ever. But it's just like every single day, there really is that doubt of is, is it ever there? It, everything's forever changed. And what does that mean? Like what, what does it look like for our band to play shows in the future? Like literally, like the thing that I built my entire life on that I, I left South Carolina and took all these chances and it's been super amazing and very successful for me. And in my whole career, I I never, I I got a degree in elementary education, never used it. And now is it coming back? And, And you know, what? What does this mean? Like we're doing a podcast now, but maybe that's even going to what, what? Like what? What does it look like to have a job? Like we 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 were talking before the podcast start. Like I think in uh, South Carolina, eighty percent of breweries are have about one more month, or the, or they're going to go under. 
And those are small time business owners. And maybe it was too much anyway. Maybe that's trimming the fat in a way. And I, I don't, I don't want any of those people to lose their jobs or their dreams, but maybe our economy and our lifestyle couldn't sustain that anyway. And so uh, something comes along and it totally demolishes it. But I mean, this is going to crash lots of people's dreams and they aren't going to be able to create their own business or their own ideas. They're not going to be able to do all those things. And you're going to see the big companies have nets and they're going to stay alive. I mean, Amazon and Walmart ain't going nowhere. Apple, you think that's going somewhere? I mean, what, what Microsoft, where they, where they, but your local uh, restaurant and barbershops where you get your hair cut and the, you know, uh, the breweries and the things that you care about and the, a lot of the people that do ads on this podcast. Yep. I don't know what's going to happen to them. They, yep. they might be gone and, and we are what we just forget them. And that's just that, that, that means a lot of freedom and hope and dreams are gone too. Well, I mean, that's why you got to give a ton of credit to the ones that stay around and are still with this podcast, like stamps.com. For all our sakes, we need to avoid crowds <laughs> in any way we can right now. But what if you need to go to the post office? What right. if you need postage to send out letters and packages? Well, you don't need to worry about that because stamps.com was way ahead of it and they're here to help. How? Anything you can do at the post office, you can do at stamps.com. Print postage on demand and skip those lines and crowds at the post office. Plus, you can actually save some money with the discounts that you can't even get at the post office. So stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer in the safety and comfort of your own home, office, or anywhere else you're hunkering down right now. Whether you're a small business sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or you're just working from home and need to mail stuff, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. And like I said, with Stamps.com, you get great discounts too. Five cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off USPS shipping rates. And now, in addition to offering discounted U.S. Postal Service rates, Stamps.com also offers UPS services with discount rates up to 62% plus Stamps.com. You won't even have to pay UPS residential surcharges, which is a huge pain and really great that they got that taken off. So Stamps.com is a no-brainer, especially now, saving you time and money and keeping you safe in these crazy times. Right now, our listeners can get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Bad Christian. That's stamps.com, enter Bad Christian. Stay safe, my friends. Very good. Glad to still have sponsors and keep rolling on this podcast. Glad to still have the audience that we do. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad Massive. to be... Yeah, and I'm glad personally for some of the disruption in the what you would call industry. So we thought it might be... I think that's kind of what's the most important thing to embrace about it is what could be different. What is this opportunity for? And I think a real parallel thing to music is sports. They're two sides of a coin in a way. And uh, we have a friend, Daniel Dopp, who's here with us today, who we met a long time ago, who's a music guy. He, You may know him now because he's on ESPN. He's an on-air talent. You see him on there. He's the tattooed guy. He will be wearing a Manchester Orchestra or as City's Burn shirt. Sometimes he gets away yep. with wearing a bad Christian shirt or something like that. Um, but he started in the in the music scene, and we met him a long time ago doing a house show. He hosted a house show for us, but he puts out vinyl. He's helped a lot of bands do that. 
Um, we can talk about all that kind of stuff. But now he's in the basically in the mainstream media and in sports. And so the crossovers between sports and music and just having a friend on the podcast, uh, he he travels on tour with us and comes on our tour bus and stuff like that uh, because he's fun guy and he even daniel even sold sold was the merch guy at bad christian conference he's that kind of guy so he just sits back in the he back was going to come on our next before. tour like I, I mean it's funny we did a matt and toby tour and he had us at his house and the place was packed and he let us stay there that night and i was just like man this guy's cool it'd be cool to be friends with him and now here he still is i was like damn good lord it actually worked but you are the kind of person that makes it so you're just easy to be around i i mean hey i appreciate that because i just like being around you guys i mean i started you know music is just as important to me as it is to you guys in a different way uh not totally different way but you know it's just fun being able to hang out and have fun with with people that you enjoy so how did you get into the music scene originally you play music like you're just a you were you know played guitar did stuff like that you went to full sale is that right I did go to Full Sail, yeah. I mean, just like every other kid, uh, that not every kid, but that probably is aware of of uh, Bad Christian. Like, I grew up a Tooth and Nail kid, so like, you know, Further Seems Forever and Two Thirty Eight. The very first band that I ever listened to was Unashamed, and I remember getting the Unashamed Reflection record. My grandma lost her mind because she was like, "What kind of devil music is this?" And I thought it was just <laughs> the coolest thing to listen to them go through, and then like, you know, from there going from Unashamed to MXPX and all the punk rock and Goatee Hook and and then that came into like the whole, you know, Emery, Acid is Burned, Further Seems Forever, 238, all these moving guitar lines and stuff. And it's just like, so I started from there and like, it, it was just, a, it was so much fun being able to like dive into music like that. And so uh, that in a long kind of way, just sort of started my love of music from that standpoint. And uh, like you said, ended up going to Full Sail University. Uh, what did you study there? Music, oh, so music business. Say that. Mm-hmm. It's all good. Yeah. So I got a degree in music business there and uh, ended up getting an internship at ESPN in 2013 in their digital audio department, so working for ESPN Radio. And now I had how did you get to- that? I don't want to skip even over Pat. So when was it that Toby and I came to your house and you did that living room show? Uh, April, no. April 2012? Sometime 2012. Before you were at ESPN, yeah, because you were in Orlando yeah. and then you moved, had to go to... I, it, I remember it was after that, Devin had, had quit. Emory, yeah, for sure. It was uh, it was the last show without uh, Lunsford because Lunsford was going to join you guys doing some Matt and Toby stuff, and so I think that was the last one before he joined. So I um, I hit him up to say, hey, do you want to come and, and play Orlando? Because I got a pretty big place, I can show it to you. And uh, I felt comfortable doing that because I had the first house show I ever did was with Chris Staples from Two Thirty Eight and Tim Vary, who was the drummer of Manchester Orchestra, and so. When I saw you guys were doing it, I was like, well, shoot, I got to email them because I love these guys. And I'd love to have them come and play at my house because it's just fun to host house shows. It's just a bunch of people that you really don't know that you find out also have a love of the same thing. And they're in a home together. And it's just such right. an amazing, unique experience. Like, I, There's no way to describe it if you haven't done it. It's just like such a cool thing to have strangers in a home sharing something so intimate with you. Yeah, I think it's only about half of people that would like it even go. So first of all, it's cool because it's pretty easy to put 50 people in the living room. Like we've been able to sell that those amount of tickets. But I also meet people all the time that say they would never go to one of those. And I'm thinking, oh, you're just they said it might. I'm uncomfortable (laughs) driving up to the house or whatever. It sounds like fun, but I'm too scared to go. So I also believe there's another half of people that would really like living room shows that don't even 
go, but I really wish they would because I do think it's a pretty special thing. Who else have you done living room shows for? You've done a bunch of them. Yeah, I did a living room show for Bazan, um, which was awesome. I mean, you know, Bazan and Pit of the Line is my favorite artist of all time, and, and the way that that guy's impacted my life is just unreal. I know it's the same yeah. for a lot of you guys for that. So, uh, But I did Bazan. I had Jeremy Enoch uh, come and play at my house here in Connecticut. Uh, clap your hands, say yeah. Vocal few. Our buddies Matt and Christy came down and played at my house. So I've done it enough at this point that it's just fun. Like it's just such a fun experience, and being able to to bring people together and hang out with that is there's no way. I mean, there's nothing really like it. So what are the out of those ones? What is what was the most? Uh, it's too easy to ask what was the best one, but wh- how could you compare the experiences of let's just say Matt and Toby and Jeremy E. Nick and Bazan? Let's just go through those uh, three. <laughs> Matt and Toby. <laughs> So the Matt and Toby crowd was way looser. Oh hell yeah! It is, I thought hell so. I like, yeah! Fuck them. Those yeah. those fans just want to like they. Yeah. You want to talk? There's this yeah. interaction and and party. I don't want to say. Well, you know, it is. Well. <laughs> and that was before Bad Christian too. We had that. That was what that we was. turned into Bad Christian. I'm just is joking. that that loose yep. crowd? <laughs> yeah. We were about premarital uh, sex and yeah. just drinking and just having a good time. Like, uh, you know. Sorry. It go ahead. was a good time. No, it was good. I. The Bazan stuff, so like, it was a surreal to have him in my house because to me he's right. just that guy in my head. Like, I've idolized him as as much as you can for so long, and so to see him in in my living room was so amazing. And I'll be honest, and this is gonna make me sound like a terrible human, I never got into Sunny Day Real Estate. My best friend Dave, he's one of their like, it's one of their, his favorite bands. Like, I love Jeremy Enix solo stuff, but I just never got into Sunny Day. But to have him here and like to see everybody like the reverence and respect that they gave Jeremy Enoch right. when he was here, it was just, it was unreal. And he was the nicest dude in the world. Like he was so sweet. So, um, but like for sure, Matt and Toby was like the rowdiest of all of the house shows. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even close. I'm hearing that the opposite way now. When I hear about all the reverence and respect that Bazan and Enoch get, I'm starting to get kind of pissed at our fans now. Like, right. No respect, no reverence. Shit. Yeah, Can I yeah. get some reverence? When's that gonna yeah. happen? I, I, when will I, I be I, revered? I do a house show and everybody do? just tries to like out <laughs> out drink me or something. Like, shit! I, I wrote, I helped write walls. Fuck! It's, Can you just it's respect so me for too, a minute? Though. Can I get revered once? Shit! Can't you not talk during while, while we're actually playing the damn song? <laughs> I'm just, you know what's funny is I remember that show, Daniel, at your house, and Matt and I, I know Matt will remember this, but it was one of my favorite moments because, there, I, Matt, I don't know if you remember the song. What song? Oh, it was, uh, what's the very last song on the first Matt and Toby record? The, I think it's called The Last One. Yep. Right? It yep. is, yep. And I forgot the lyric, and mm-hmm. I couldn't get it, and, and Matt was like, just chill out, it's going to come to you. And we just played this, like, whatever chord over and over, and I was like, uh. And then out of nowhere, it just popped into my brain, and I sang it. And everybody kind of like cheered or just like, yeah. Uh-huh. And I was like, was so this good. is amazing. Like, there's all these people sitting on Daniel's floor in his house mm-hmm. in, in Orlando, Florida. And this moment is just so real. That That's probably like one of the things I love the most about doing living room shows is that there isn't really much production. You know, there's not, I mean, everybody's there. They're sitting on a floor in some house they don't even know. And it just makes it like it makes it the most the closest to how you wrote the song and what it actually is. And you're right there, a few feet from the person that you, you know. Like with Dave Bazan, I went to one of Dave Bazan's uh, 
house shows in Charleston, and I was just like, and I had seen him before. I'd, 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 I've seen Pedro the Lion and Dave Bazan several times, but seeing him at that house in Charleston, I was like, oh, this is just, it's just him, and it's so raw, and it feels so real. And the song is like probably how he wrote it, sitting with an acoustic guitar all those years ago, and it it just feels so good. And and in that moment too, the crowd is with you because they feel it, and they're there. And you know, when you're on stage and there's all this production and lights, of course the you know the the amount of people being there impacts you. But when it's like forty or fifty people and they're all just completely present and completely focused on the moment, it is just something that is amazing. I mean, it, it's a high that I don't get from other shows. And I felt there was a thing that that you talking about that I felt very at that point I was a fan of you guys right like I I listened to Emery as a, you guys were a band like that I I had really enjoyed so to welcome you into my home from that standpoint and then be like all right so now the show's over like are you guys gonna go stay at a hotel do you want to crash here like when you're a person that you don't really know how that's set up and it's just like man I cannot believe I have these two people that I've like consumed their stuff and the way that they've impacted my life, not to make this weird, uh, and sorry, Devin, but uh, the way that these two guys have impacted my life, you know, it's, it's rad to be able to hang out and have that kind of a thing. But Bazan and Enoch fans, when they came and, and were here, like everybody was just quiet while they played. And I felt like for Matt and Toby, not that everybody sang out like aloud, like really big, but like people were definitely like singing along like under their breath so that you could hear them. And that was, it was an interesting juxtaposition between those two because it's like, just because you sing doesn't mean you're being rowdy, you know, for, for Bazan or for right. Enoch, for any of the other people. Like, that's not you being disrespectful. But I think for those people, they were just like, we just want to sit here and like take this in. And for a lot of the Matt and Toby fans, you guys, and not that Dave or Jeremy didn't do this, but they felt so invited into that moment that it was just like, all right, we're going to be able to like have this, you know, this energy with you guys, which was so yeah, rad. I, I think in the same regard, like house, house shows that, that I've played over the years, it's it's more of a thing of like the comfort level that you want people to be at when you're there. Now there there is something cool right. about like people having this awe of you and and you know just listening and everything you say or do. They're just you know you could hear a pin drop in the room. That's that's cool. But at the same time, there, there's something really uh, bland about that. There's something really boring in a sense of like you want those people to feel comfortable like when toby and i have done shows me matt and toby there's a thing where we 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 get upset with the crowd if they're not more involved if they're not yelling or talking or going to the bathroom or whatever they're going to do during our set just be comfortable have fun and i think anybody would prefer that it's the most part is it are you irritated that they don't feel free i feel like a little bit offended like what do you what you don't feel free enough to talk right now like right like it feels like too fancy or something. Why would you want somebody to feel that way? Yeah, you know why I mean? would I want right. somebody else to feel submissive to me in that way? It makes me uncomfortable or something. Like I now, want I to can be understand loose. from my perspective, if I saw someone that was my idol in a concert, I would probably just feel naturally like, I don't want to say anything. I just want to listen. Right. You know, I, that's just the way you feel. But if they made me mm-hmm. more and more comfortable to say, hey, man, let's talk. Ask me a question. Let, that would be better. You know what I mean? It's, but if you don't get that encouragement from the person who's performing – then you're not ever going to feel that way. You know what I mean? Well, the performers are. I mean, I think. I mean, I'm not indicting anybody else. It's certainly not Bazan or Enoch, but no, no. But I mean, there's a breed of performer, and maybe it's all the best performers who do like the reverence itself and cultivate it. They, oh yeah, they yeah. actually that's their thing. 
Do the yeah. fans like it too, though? Maybe the, is maybe. that a thing? like like maybe. like Daniel from your from your experience as a, a fan watching, like they're having some people really revere Jeremy Enoch, which I do too. I mean, I think he's amazing, and I think I bet that show was great. Was it's it incredible? Was it cool that people kept their distance and were quiet and and away from him? I think it was the idea, and it was similar with Bazan, where people are just sort of in awe of this person. That, like, even if you've seen them live and you've seen him at a show, or maybe you met him for a half a second and, like, got at a merch table and got him to sign a record or whatever, you're sitting four feet from this person as they sing a song that has impacted your life in a way that you want so desperately to say to him, but you don't know how yeah. to, like, like I don't, I, I don't know what to tell you. I, I just, like, and you get clam, you know, everybody clams up and. I will say that as the shows go on, and I'm curious if you guys feel this way, like in the beginning, Bazan has always done, and, and now everybody does, the like, does anybody have any questions at this point in the show? And it's like yeah. dead silent the first time because everyone's so nervous to say something. And yeah, once right, you finally right. say it, then it's like, oh, okay. And as you get more and more people weighing in from that standpoint, the rest of the crowd sort of you know, lets, gets loose. And once you're at the end of the show, it's like everyone's sort of laughing and have a good time. But it feels... It feels a little bit stiff, but just out of respect and not because anybody demands it or anything like that. It's I think it's just like an awe of like, I cannot believe that this is happening kind of a thing. Yeah, it, it's awesome. The energy of it was real inspirational to us, just the, the way that it works. I mean, there's something that I really get off on about it that there's nobody else involved that isn't in the room and it's under the radar of the general economy or something like, you know, it's it's not regulated. It's just it feels it's you know it's completely real. There's nothing there. There's no pretense. There's no nothing. So I really have liked that about it. And a lot of what we learned from doing that, we translated and moved into. We started doing mix shows with unlearning and bad Christian until bad yeah. Christian it turned into a podcast. I mean, it really came out of those experiences. And then even since then, Toby have been, and Devin have been doing songs and stories. And even we had a show canceled last week that was supposed to be like we've been trying to work on that format and grow it at that level. Um, that's what we've been really working on. We were trying to, we were before the pandemic, we were trying to build a set that was at most 150 people and try to get that, see how far we could, how many people could you get in a room and deliver higher and higher quality music and production and an experience without it changing that dynamic. And we think 150 is a pretty good metric of that, but that show got canceled. So we didn't get to do that test. And that's partly why we started doing the, are you listening show on Sunday nights is we're just going to start, you know, trying to, do something intimate and real in the situation we have. And then as capacities open up, we're going to start trying to experiment with that more and more. Anyway, we've been developing it for years, so we kind of feel like it's a, a cool opportunity, but that was always been meaningful to us and this podcast yeah. and, and, and everything like that. But let's move and we'll get back to some of that, but let's move in from there. So that right after we met you, you at that time, I don't know what you were planning on doing for a living, but it couldn't have been, you were thinking soon you'll be a TV star. Right. No. No. <laughs> that I mean, no. <laughs> what no. happened next? I um I got that internship at ESPN, and so um it was a fall internship for ESPN Radio, and I there were ten of us that were hired as interns for the fall in 2013 out of 16,000 applicants. Damn. And so um. I know that I like I was very blessed and super lucky. Like I had the military. I spent six years in the Air Force. Uh, doing a lot of stuff. So I think that gave me a, a leg up, you know, from that standpoint, because they knew that I could come in and had had already worked in a professional environment um, and not anything against people that haven't. 
uh, that are getting out of college, but I just had a, a really good base there. And so I just did everything I could to crush it. Like in those right. 10 weeks, it was like, I'm going to make them awesome. forget how they ever did this before I got here. And then when the internship is over, I want them to feel that panic in their stomach of like, oh shoot, how do we do this when Daniel leaves? Awesome. Yeah. And, and what was the nature of that role, though? What were the duties and the job descriptions? Just audio production, or what was it? I didn't do almost any audio production. It was all working for ESPNRadio.com. So, like, when you would go to ESPN back in the day, you see, like, a headline underneath a photo, and yeah. you click that photo to go to the story. I would write out the headline or the description. I would find the photos that you would put up there. So, like, the little thing, the links that you would click on. I would work on um, SVP and Rosillo when that show was still on the air, and I would do their... They had, in their third hour, they would do a stream um, and we would take questions. So I would pull questions for them and I worked with them for a while. And so, and then I would help uh, our other producers with podcasts, but I did that very little as an intern and only started to do that once I became a part-timer. So um, mm-hmm. that was a huge thing though. They offered me a job, um, you know, as soon as my internship was over, they said, we can't make you full-time, but like, we want you to be here. Would you mind taking a, a part-time job and we will do right. everything we can as long as things keep working out the way we have to make sure we take care of you when something comes available. And there were no promises, there were no anythings, but I just knew like if that, that my foot, that was my foot in the door to again, prove to them, all right, well now that I've got past the intern thing, I can be a part-timer. But what did you want your foot in the door to to get? Did you have an aspiration specifically in mind? My aspiration was to work for a company like ESPN because there are so many avenues that you could go from being inside of there. One of the things that I, I going into ESPN, I sort of had like a change of a mindset because I, my degree was in music business. And it was one of the things we had talked about at that house show was I wanted to do a vinyl focused record label. And I just, you know, it's something that I, I've always loved. I've loved vinyl. Um, and so I wanted to kind of pursue that on the side for whatever it, it was that I was going to do. And I thought ESPN is a place where I could have a career. I could see myself spending 20 years here because it's probably going to be a decent paying job. And I love sports. Like I've always grown up loving sports. And so if I can do that for a living, how is that a living? Like that's just me enjoying going to work and, and, and doing that. So, so same I, um, the way people feel about music, it's just like, well, I love sports and music. I just want to be around those things basically. Yeah. Yeah. And what, so when, even when I got that internship at ESPN, there was, there was nothing that related to my degree almost at all, but it was the idea that, a door open that I didn't expect. And I'm going to jump in head first and say, wow, this seems like it could be an awesome opportunity. And so I'm just going to see where it takes me. And so even as an intern thinking, could I make, you know, could I stay here? Can I see myself here? It's like, well, I've already made a crazy career change from going to working as an intelligence analyst for the NSA to going to college at Full Sail. Now, even though I have a music business degree, I'm going to go in and start doing sports for my career. Like, I've had so many doors open that I never expected that the idea that like there's so many paths at ESPN that I could take. And so I loved the idea that it would be something that would always challenge me and that I had a actual passion for. Because that was one of the things that was just tough for me was finding something I was passionate about that I could make a living off of. And I feel so blessed that like that's a thing that I get to do now because nothing I do feels like a job. I just feel lucky. And I, you know, it's it's something that is... I couldn't have expected it to work out the way that it did. Well, I still want to do more details to get to where you are now, but the next thing I remember, as far as I'm following along, was about 2015 yeah. or so is when we started this podcast. And uh, 
so we were releasing music on vinyl, which you were helping with because you knew about that, and you knew about podcasting because you had just moved into the audio production role of helping. I don't remember what po- yep. it was a fantasy football podcast. Was that the yep. first one? Fantasy focused football with Matthew right. Berry. Yep. Yeah, and so you started helping on that podcast, and you were editing it and stuff like that. So when we first started this podcast, I would call you to get audio tips and you were telling me why don't you try this mic and that like we were talking about microphones and which mic to use like mm-hmm. you were advising me on that at the I beginning love of this podcast if you remember and you sent me yeah. some stuff from ESPN and started talk, talking to me about advertisers and, and you know all the questions I was having as soon as we got out and started having some success you already were around that at the corporate level so I thought that was really fascinating and your attitude was always you know very very proactive trying to help and, and kind of stuff like that so now you're working on that in a paid job producing Matthew Berry's pot when you became the producer of that. And then what happened after that? Yeah. So, um, our, our former producer left and I filled in for them. It was halfway through the football season. And so like I worked with Matthew for a half a season and him and I just kind of clipped our personalities worked really well together. And so when they came up for the next year, um, they asked if they were okay with me staying on as the producer of that show. And Matthew was like, yeah, I like Daniel's creativity. Let's do it. And so, I went from like an intern to two years later producing the highest like consumed fantasy podcast in the entire sports industry, which was just unreal to me, the the way that it worked out like that. And so I was able to do that. Um, You know, we developed a lot of things. I brought video to the podcast, which has now been a huge thing with all of the the video that we do for Fantasy Focus Football. and so this last year, um, you know, all that, and I'll go backwards, but like all that culminated in when I took over, it was just a video podcast that had really great numbers and a really big, uh, really big audience. But this last year, we did 150 million impressions from the podcast over a five month period. And so Whoa. it's something that I feel super like I feel so proud of what we've built together as a team, that entire uh, that entire crew uh, that it was it's been a blast being able to work on it. So Going from working with Matthew on the podcast, about a year and a half into me as the producer, he was getting a TV show. And as a part of that TV show, he asked his TV producers, hey, do you mind if Daniel sits in on some of our content meetings? I know he's not a TV guy, but I think he's got a really creative mind and he could probably come up with some fun stuff uh, within, within our show. So I sat in on that very first meeting and it was like two hours long and I walked to Matthew's office with him after that meeting and I said, Matthew, listen, you know I love you to death. I so like I can't tell you how much it means that you want me to be a part of this meeting, uh, but I think you need a co-host because you're a terrible host by yourself. Uh, just alone, he's really good as an analyst, but one of the things that he's not great at is is being a host. And him and I have talked about that, and we know it. And there's everyone has strengths and weaknesses, and he's gotten a lot better at it. But it's so much <laughs> easier when you have someone to help. And he was like, "Yeah, I, I think you know maybe that's a thing too." And I was like, "Well, I think I know who that co-host should be. You know, I have an idea." And he was like, yeah, who do you think, who, who do you have in mind? And I was like, well, just hear me out. <laughs> but I think, but I think it should be me. We already have a podcast that has hundreds of thousands of listeners. And Support. so I'm established yeah. on the podcast and they understand our rapport. I wouldn't be foreign to those people. I'm not another fantasy analyst at this point to come in and question or challenge your authority. I'm a guy to be able to help you and put something up on a tee, ask smart questions and all of that. And so on top of that, all of our sense of humor, and you know that I'm down to do fun, stupid bits on social media or or take off my shirt on TV and do whatever. And he was like, you know what? That's not a terrible idea. And which was like, as soon as he said that, it was like the greatest thing that I've ever heard in my entire life. 
And so he went back and we and talked to the producers and I did a couple wow. rounds of, of tests in That's it. Crazy. And four years and one day after I started at ESPN as an intern, right out of Full Sail University, I was hosting my first TV show on ESPN2. That's and amazing. so that ride, like everything about it has been like right place, right time, getting lucky and developing relationships with people and, and establishing the value that I bring in these different areas. And at the same point, just always having this desire to want to be better, to, to look at what we've done and, and finding ways to continually try and strive to like, what's the next thing we can do? Great that we've had the success. How else do we get better at this? And, and so, um, I got I got so lucky being able to to jump on and be a part of that TV show, but now that's led me to where I am, being able to wear band T-shirts and do all these things on TV and promote bands and music and things that I love, which is uh, you know I feel like I get to live a dream in, in like this intersection of sports and music between those two things. It's so funny how many people send me you wearing our t-shirt yeah. <laughs> so many people like that they, they have zero they like that they have zero clue that we're friends and they just yeah. constantly i mean i get so many messages hey this guy on espn you know hey, I, I, this daniel dop guy i don't know if you know him but he wore your t-shirt this is it's your big break like, yeah, they yeah. think we're about to blow yeah. up because right. you wore our shirt right it's unbelievable <laughs> yeah it's i love How, it i love that yeah, no, no, no. It's just one of those things that I feel like it's a, I, it's so important to me that like, while I love the sports side of it, it's like, how many people love sports and music and that I can connect with outside of that? Like, right. I, I love the idea that like, I can go when I've come out with you guys on tour a couple of times, like I'll see like, people will come up to the merch table and be like, Hey, Daniel. And it's just like, I love as soon as they lead in, it's like, Oh, cool. This must be a podcast listener. Let's talk about fantasy football. And so like, I'm there at a show that I love listening to you guys and being a part of that, and so do they, and we're talking fantasy football, and now we're sharing in like all these things that's just like, man, this is what relationship is all about. Like This is why community is so valuable. It's, so, it's such a beautiful thing to share with people. How was it? So you get there, and I, I'm assuming it's similar to like our band Emery on Warp Tour, and we see all these other people, and we feel like we don't belong, and then all of a sudden we kind of start thinking, yeah, we do belong. What was it like? Because, I mean, I I didn't grow up watching ESPN because my parents wouldn't pay for cable. Can't get but, no cable. But, but once <laughs> I figured out what ESPN was, I mean, I was just a <laughs> massive fan, and I love the personalities there. What was it like being an intern, and then all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, but I, over the course of several years, you grew to be a personality as well. What was that like? Like, I mean, what was it like when you got there as an intern working with somebody like Ryan Rossillo? Or it was incredible. Guys? It was incredible. I remember my first day walking around and I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's Stephen A. Smith. That's Skip Bayless. That's Trey Wingo. That's Scott Van Pelt." And it was like, I cannot believe these people that I I watch and listen to are like in front of me. And the first day that I ever worked on SVP and Rossillo. Uh, their producer Ray brought me in, and he's like, "Hey guys, here's Daniel. He's our intern." And like, I shook their hands, and I was just like, right. "This is another. It's another one of those things where like having Bazan in your living room, where it's like, I, I can't believe right. I'm in this moment with this person. Like, you've been a larger than life figure to me, and now I'm in a room sharing a conversation with you. And so I'll never forget. Um, I'll never forget that first year that I worked on SVP and Rosillo. Scott Van Pelt came up to me around Christmas. And I had just come back as an intern. Um, my internship ended just before Thanksgiving, and they brought me back just after that. So 
like three weeks after I came back as an intern, Scott Van Pelt came up to me um, just before Christmas and he was like, hey, Daniel, do you like steaks? And I was like, yep. And he was like, all right, here you go. And he handed me a card. He gave me a Christmas card uh, with an undisclosed amount of money on a gift card for a, a steak place for me and and uh, my wife at the time. And so it was a the idea that Scott Van Pelt was giving me a Christmas card was right. like, he thought about it. Oh my it gosh. And did it. Yeah, like, yeah. I, and the idea that someone at that level would think about me, who I felt like was so down here at base level, was just like, oh my gosh, these people here are the nicest, most sincere human beings that I've ever worked with. And they feel the same way that I do. They feel lucky to be able to have this, you know, relationship and talk about sports every day. Like, it's, it, it was surreal until it got to the point where, it becomes a job, which I'm sure it did for you guys too. And not yeah. a job as in like, I get tired of doing it, but it's like, you see Matthew Berry every day and now Matthew's just Matthew. Now I complain about Matthew. Now I complain right. to Matthew about Matthew. <laughs> I, you know, And it's the same thing where like, you get to know people and, and, and they stop being this like larger than life figure and right. they're, just, they're just people that you're with. It all was, wears off, yeah. Exactly. We, the last time that I was out with you guys, I had to leave tour to go do a thing with Adam Schefter in Jacksonville. And I just, I, even then, like three years later, I remember thinking to myself, like, I cannot believe if you told me that I was going to go out on tour with Emery and then I was going to be like, guys, sorry, I got to leave to go do this thing with Adam Schefter. Like five years before that, I would be like, you're crazy. Like, you're so stupid to even think that would happen. But it's just, it's been so surreal to be able to have that and develop those relationships. And it's, it's fantastic to be able to, to build that. Well, let's move on just for, I mean, we'll, I, we we can still talk about whatever because we've been friends for a long time, but this is an unprecedented time for everybody, but we'll just stick with yeah. sports. There aren't sports. <laughs> there are not sports, right? right? Like, like, that, like right now ESPN is killing it because uh, if you think about sports, just because... There was the NFL draft that just happened, and then the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. But, I mean, when this pandemic happened, and obviously you're even at your house right now, and they say, don't come. I mean, what is it like for a person in the sports industry, for you personally, reporting on sports, talking about sports every day, needing content about sports? I mean, what in the hell has happened to your job? (laughs) I remember having a conversation with my leadership when a lot of this started to become real, when the whole like working remotely thing for our entire department was like a reality. Yeah. And it was, we need to find ways to be able to continue to interact with people as fans because just because there isn't sports doesn't mean that these people don't still need that outlet, that they don't still need that thing to take their mind off of whatever's going on at home and spoiler alert there's going to be twice as much going on at home because you're not allowed to leave it right now right so like finding ways you know we um i talked with my my boss pete about working on the last dance documentary with jalen and jacoby right now we're doing an after show so after it's done um i just watched episodes five and six of the documentary yesterday and we did the podcast earlier today and um it became a technical a technical conversation about how do we get every host that is both good and not good with technology set up in their homes remotely without doing it for them to make sure that we can still 
start doing podcasts and doing radio and finding ways to be able to have conversations. And so that last dance pod, or that last dance show wasn't supposed to come out for a number of months. And ESPN decided to move it up and say, all right, well, we're going to do it now. And so ESPN has been pretty quick on their feet to be able to find ways to to manufacture content that have allowed people to have that relief, even though there's not live sporting events going on. And same with the NFL draft. Like the amount of effort that has to go into setting up cameras and all of those kids' homes and right. all of the stuff, at, like all of those, everyone where they live and Trey Wingo and the NFL network and all of everybody, like it's just, it is a feat to be able to do that. So we've, you know, we're hold, trying hold, to don't, find don't, ways. don't gloss over that. That was unbelievable. Uh, so my question is, wh- when you say cameras in everybody's home, what was that? Like, I mean, there was all these draftees and ESPN just said, hey, some you don't know who's going to be drafted, so you just kind of have to have a camera somewhere, right? Just in case. Yeah. And how yeah. how did they make that? I mean, how does that? How do they pull that off so quick? I mean, what what is that? What is? I mean, these are young men trying to get into the NFL and live their dream, and all of a sudden, ESPN's calling them. What, what's the? How how does that guy, that linebacker, get a camera at yeah. his house and set up? In his house. So that's one of those things where you look at logistically. ESPN and the NFL uh, Network and all of the NFL teamed up because normally we each have our own version of the draft, right? We each air our own version. We came together to decide to do one big uh, draft and kind of pool the resources from that standpoint. And so I actually thought, and maybe this was just me, I'm, I'm one of those people that watches the draft almost all the way through and I realize I'm kind of crazy like that, but it was so humanizing to see, to see these kids and their families that wouldn't normally be able to have that spotlight because normally they're at the draft. And so Mel Kiper and Todd McShay and like there's, there's less footage of those guys and just footage of guys in the first round, maybe a couple people that slipped to the second round, but this was like, you're getting into the third and fourth round and you're seeing these kids celebrate with their families. And it's like, what a, what a beautiful thing to be able to see the raw emotion in this moment where it's like, I actually almost like this more than the way we used to air it. Like, this is what I want to see is those stories of like these kids and their moms and their families. I remember watching, um, and I'm a Lions fan. uh, So we have a guy on our team named Romeo Okwara. He's a, he's a defensive end. And his younger brother, Julian was drafted in the third round by the Lions. So there's a video of him getting the phone call and getting choked up and, and saying, yes, sir, yes, sir, I can't wait to be there. And he hangs up his phone, and he looks at his older brother, and he says, we about to play together. And, like, to see that moment of, like, oh, two wow. brothers be able to share that moment of, right. like, we get to do this for a living with each other was just, like, such a, a beautiful, intimate moment that was, like, that's what this is. Like, seeing those interpersonal relationships and those stories, that has carried so much of what sports is at a time yeah. when there isn't that live sport for you to be able to consume. So the draft was a huge it was a huge thing for everyone to be able to consume and be like, "All right, it was a little taste of what it used to be like, but in a different way that like I think it's going to change the way that we look at working from home and doing things remotely going forward." Mm-hmm. That's I mean that's sim- there's something I'm I'm kind of trying to lock onto the similarity with music and sports in that way because both I mean, obviously, they're both centered around a live experience, really. Like, fundamentally, 
you know, sports is competitive and music is more collaborative. But they both they both are an interactive thing. And then there's the media part of it, which is coverage of it, and there's shows about it and commentary on it and things like that. But they're they're both rooted in this live human connected and when you're talking about sports and the fans and the fan stuff and that was the immediate message from ESPN is we got to engage the fans that's the same Mm -hmm. thing that's the same thing that all the musicians are feeling too so it's what can you do in the absence of the I mean it it gets at this fundamental question is there an absence of the real thing is it real what does it mean to do streaming stuff I mean you have to just find new things and so that's why I wanted to have Devin on the show too Devin, what what is your experience been like um, in that we have just taken this opportunity to to like get with doing new things? We've been talking about doing Twitch and streaming and engaging with the fans for ever, uh, but even even over the last decade, it's been like how do we actually get involved with the fans on the internet? We were kind of slow to that game in in the late. 2000s and then now we've embraced it and there's this switch that has been flipped that i'm finding super fascinating it's just like what you were talking about with the draft being maybe realer in a way now that toby and devin and i that were all engaged with this thing that we're doing the other show it feels totally different right devin yeah i mean it does it definitely feels different uh i don't don't know if i would categorize it as better or worse yet it's still kind of early in in my mind as like what is this really going to be but i think for us as a band and this is not to say we're more innovative or anything like that but we've kind of been preparing for this to some degree you know what i mean like Mm -hmm. we tour less uh you know we we do other things at home we're home way more than most bands i mean we started this thing called emory land over a year ago which is an online community you know things like that that we're we've kind of been gearing towards, and I don't think that we knew this was coming or anything like that. But I feel like we kind of saw something happening in the culture where we kind of directed ourselves towards it, and it's for some reason or another, it's just kind of played out this way now. And I think it's really interesting that it's kind of worked out that way. I, again, I'm not saying that we're something that we're not. I'm just saying that there was something within the culture even before this happened that was kind of pushing that direction. Mm-hmm. And so lucky, lucky for us, I feel like we kind of jumped on that a little earlier and kind of, now we feel a little bit more comfortable doing it as opposed to maybe other people who are a little bit more, you know, a little afraid of it. Yeah. And it's not about being better than a concert. It's not, no, than no a concert. No. It's not yeah. even close, but it's all of a sudden real in the same way that a concert right. is real. It's not as good. Not at all. It's yeah. a stage one zero level, but it's actually it's not some dumb thing. It's a real thing that there's a lot to do with now, and the engagement oh, yeah. is real. Like we are working on the show all week, and it feels like when we were first working on our putting together our first local show and how to do it. Like, what do we do? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do we need the gear? What do we do? We're we going to load in. How are we going to play the songs? What's the transition going to be? Like all that development is now happening for a thing that's real. And it's yeah. new, and it's like it's way more exciting than a bunch of years of rinse and repeat touring, which is just some standard industry model. Right. And it seems to me that both sports and music have are like in the way we've been doing this really dumb in a lot of ways, and it's just the <laughs> it's what everybody's stuck in. So now things are actually happening. Well, I but think I, there I is mean, something pretty Ill, real and intimate about this too, is because 
uh, you know, to be pretty specific is when, when, when people go to a show, they see the band, we're a little different. We kind of hang out It's so smaller bands do, but larger bands obviously can't always do this, but you're kind of hanging around the show a little bit. You might see somebody here and there, but mostly they just see us on stage and in our, or at our tour bus or wherever the case might be. And, and during this time they get to see my basement. Like, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like, this right. is my house. They're like, oh, there's Devin's house. That's pretty cool. Like, I just saw Daniel's house. I was like, hey, that's cool. I've never been to Daniel's house before. So right. it's like one of those things where I think fans would even think, oh, that's pretty cool. Like, I get it's to a, see inside Daniel their home. Daniel has a Christ Staples thing <laughs> on the back behind him. Christ Staples. <laughs> I love that. But you know what I mean? It's a little bit more, um, <laughs> not intrusive in a negative way, but a little bit more intimate i guess you could say mm-hmm. in that regard for fans be like oh that's really cool that that's in his home i mean matt's in the jeopardy studio right now mm-hmm. yeah you know so that's it's really cool home. that's where he hangs out biden. <clears throat> <It's sporting> mm-hmm. <laughs> but here's one thing that is different for us is we actually have years of content built up that we can present right now and today daniel right. There is no content. <laughs> you 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 have years of content that you can reshow, and that's what ESPN. I've seen it a bunch. It was really funny. Uh, this was probably man, even two weeks ago. Man, it, it's unbelievable that March was the slowest month of my life, and April di- didn't exist. Like April <laughs> has not existed. It's it's yeah. so bizarre. But two weeks ago, there was a game. It was Favre's first game. As a as the starting quarterback of the Vikings against the Packers with mm-hmm. Aaron Rodgers, right? And I'm watching it, and there was a crazy play where the ball got flipped around and a guy caught it. And I went, whoa! And, and my wife looks at me and goes, what are you doing? This is <laughs> yeah, this so old. This, this, is, this isn't happening right now. Why are you doing And I was like, no, but... That was athletically. That was so cool. I mean, I did, and, and I was like, and and I hated her because she stole that from me. I hated my wife in that moment. It, I was like, you, you asshole. Like, I mean, I just give me one football play to cheer for in a pandemic. I just need it. But like, go, going back to what I was saying, we can play a song right now, not you know that that we played years ago or whatever. And present it now, fresh and new, and it's real and it's happening in present time. And you don't have any of that. I mean, the, the, there's a couple of things you have your documentary on with ESPN or uh, you know the draft or something like that. But other than that, there there are is what I mean. There might is there a soccer game somewhere or uh, <laughs> might be some fights or something. What, I think, what? Yeah, UFC is going to open up soon, I think, and they've got a. And I don't follow it super close, but I think they're gonna do some fights on an island somewhere and, and right. make that happen. So like UFC Fight fighting island. is gonna take place soon. Yeah. I don't it's it's gonna be really interesting to see how sports reopens because we've heard a lot of these different um leagues talk about, you know, what is it that we can do to to start doing this? Could we have like some cities where if we put four teams up in one city all in hotels and we have a you know, go through this whole thing and keep them almost segregated so that they're making sure that if everyone's safe and they don't get in contact right. with other people. And But the idea from that is like, I mean, we just, we aired like a horse competition between NBA All-Stars. Right, right. We're doing, like, you know how big esports is right now? Like, we did a, we did the whole NBA 2K thing with Andre Drummond and a bunch of different, like, NBA stars of, like, just playing video games. 
and esports is is that, but like it's trying to find ways. Everything is about everything is about finding ways to change and adapt to survive. And one of the yeah. things that I not that you guys have are asking for this, but you guys felt like a, such an early adopter to that when you started to do bad Christian because a lot of it was remote. You guys already had set up ways to be able to interact with your true fans in a way that a lot of artists are having to do now in order to continue to make a living. You started doing that years ago. And so you already had a leg up on the competition from that standpoint. Not that it's a competition of like who can survive and like be financially secure, but the the idea that you guys were already there, you didn't have to scramble as much as some of these other businesses and other bands potentially had to. And that's a thing that we within sports, it's like, all right, what happens when every sport shuts down? It's not just a strike in the NBA where we're only going to play half a season. You right. just have nothing. Go back to the drawing board altogether. And that's where having really creative people around you is super important to find new ways to deliver content and think outside of the box because otherwise you're just not going to survive. Right. Yeah. That's uh, what I keep hearing from musicians. Is like the second week of when things, when everybody finds... I don't know. Everybody kind of came to this real come to this realization on their own timeline. Is one thing that's been super bizarre. It's been over a span of about a month. Everybody kind of got to it. Wait a minute. This is actually real. It's happening. Yeah. There's going to be all this. So yeah. I I can't tell you how many calls I've got um, and texts from musicians. Tell you know asking me, well, how are we going to do this? How do you do online concert? How do you do this? You know, what what what's this streaming thing? What how do y'all do this or that or whatever? I've got. I feel like I got that text from almost everybody. And the thing that all the musicians are saying is that they're they're they don't think of streaming as real in a way where they think of it like they think of it as some promotional thing you have to do for the other thing basically that they and they and of course it makes you look sillier to be with no like the everything stripped away you hear bill Maher's show and it's like whoa without the audience and without that and you see the late night people and you go oh without the stuff mm-hmm. and musicians are the same way like well i like the loud pa system so i'm the loudest or i i need to be able to just yell raise your fucking hands and then they do it and then i'll feel comfortable but those things are gone so it it's a uh, Everybody is nervous to get into it and self-conscious, basically. And so I don't think it's at all about who survives. I think the important thing about it is just that everybody does it at the same time and jumps in and supports mm-hmm. each other. And then we're, what we're looking for is something new. It's just We're just looking for a new scene. We're looking for a scene that can exist and have where the – yeah, it's cool because the playing field is level. And it's super cool because – we need less of the middlemen and that kind of stuff. So if the artists will get together and the fans will get together and just try stuff, well, everybody will figure out what works. I mean, you mentioned Jeremy Enoch earlier. He did a couple of Facebook videos. He's never been had any social media presence hardly at all or participated in anything. And his Facebook videos are just tremendously good. He's done like three songs from his mm-hmm. where he lives, and it's just great. I mean, it's incredible. And some people aren't so good or some people aren't so good yet. And so – uh this on this week on our show we have Corey from Norma Jean and he he said that he's been thinking about streaming for a long time he's just scared to do it and he's like thank you so much for like give yeah this I'm this is what I needed to get over the hump to come do something and so we're making a Norma Jean song this week with Corey we're gonna do it on the show and he That's you know awesome. I want to give him a good place where he will feel safe and not silly to come on a stream because this terrible to be on your own webcam in your basement by yourself. And have to talk to it, and then pause, and then say serious right. things, and then scan and read the 
and then read and then read and then find a kind of a question like that's the debt that's so you know it has to be alive and energy and of course it won't be like the real show but there's something to do there and I, i'm i'm wondering about sports if there's if there's i mean is it really going to be i mean what are the real disruptive things that might come out of this for sports i mean there really has to be like esports are, are they just is it just going to break are they just going to is it going to really happen e- for that esports i feel like is one of those things that is is the least impacted of all of the sporting industries and that's you have to consider esport a sport which i do but like it's everywhere right now i mean mm-hmm. you, when you're home all the time like what is it that you can do well one thing i can do is i can get on my xbox with my internet which i have and i can do this like that's one of the only things that i can i can watch people stream on twitch and do all of that but like if if those athletes are doing that within their industry well, like why can musicians not do it there within their industry it's just the idea of breaking out of the mold of this is the way that it's always been or we've never done it like this before and jumping into the great unknown of like boy i'm nervous to do this but guess what right you were nervous to do it in the very beginning of your career to begin with right. the first time you got out on stage to play in front of people you felt that same way it's all it is is just adopting adopting that headspace to be able to figure out how can i continue to do this to make a living while still impact positively impacting other people that are struggling at home and going through the same things that I am because I can still be that creative outlet to give others hope or a voice or some kind of something, you know, that, you know what I mean? Like it's, I don't know, not to sound like so, I don't know. But esports is so set up for it. I mean, they're already doing it that way. Like, is that going to, is that going to shift to where the commentary is? And like you said, you consider it a real sport. Why? And what's the debate there? Is esports sports? Yes. Absolutely, and it's not even close. You, we've decided to make a sport. So if I just said to you, hey, I'm going to give you this ball, and you need to throw it through a hoop. And it's like, what? And it's like, yeah, that's a new sport. you got to take a ball and just throw it through a basket. It's like, well, that's not a sport. That's just me in my backyard throwing. So why, why is it that me playing a video game can't be a sport? When you really break it down and you stop being an right. elitist about basketball or baseball <laughs> or football, anything can be a sport if there's competition behind it that deals with Am I better than these hundred other people that I'm competing against? That's what a sport is. If you throw, I'm going to throw quarters uh, as close to the wall as possible without touching the wall. And then guess what? You're going to get three tries and you're going to do it. Like that sounds so dumb, but is that any dumber than being like, I'm going to throw a rock at you and you need to hit it with a stick and see how far you can hit it. Like that's mm-hmm. literally what baseball is. All right. Mm-hmm. So, your audio screwed up, Toby. Y'all hear him or don't? Yeah, it's he like sounds, real far in the distance. Yeah, you, Toby, your audio's gone. I don't hear you. How about now? As You're now. back. As an audio professional, there you go, Toby. I, it's, from I you moving, it. it's from you moving the mic around so we can see your back. No, <laughs> it's not that. It can't be. Daniel, when you, you work at ESPN, it's the, it has to be the most important news, uh, sports sporting news network in the world. Top when, 10. Have you heard any behind the scenes of like NBA possibly coming back? Is, it, what, is there any rumors you can give anything? Uh, no. Like 
And that's well, frustrating for all, right, all of us. All right, this is the end of the podcast then. You are, <laughs> okay. you are oh, worthless. Right. We don't want you on here. We the, the reason we want you on here is for news, and you can't even give it to us. Here's the thing. I think the world is in such a crazy place right now that there's no way to even truly speculate. Like, what is the thought behind this? Like, we can we can put dates in place the same way that bands can be like, all right, well, I'm going to try and do a show in September or... I'm going to sell tickets to a show in January of 2021 because we're all assuming that that's going to be a thing. Uh, Toby, I hate you so much. What? I, mean, I love you. I love you, but I we're hate you. We're doing a live show here and I have to keep things going. <laughs> but there is no way for anyone to know. Like, how does this work? And, and I mean this uh, with no political affiliation whatsoever, but the idea okay. of like, it's getting very difficult for me within the news to be able to understand what is real and what is not real. And how far along is testing when it comes to a lot of the things with this pandemic? And are we really as close as I think we are? And like, let's say we have this, but like, what does that mean? Is there a definitive timeline? And and great, there's a timeline, but now how does that distributed to billions of people across the planet to be like, there is no short-term fix for any of those things. So like, you can plan as much as you can, but sports feels so far down the list to me of like importance of what we need to figure out right now other than the fact that it is still that outlet for people to be able to have like, it's a thing to take my mind off of the reality of what's going on. And that's mm-hmm. like, when you stop and you think like, it's not just sports, it's not just music. Like you're providing something to people in the middle of what is a scary time for a lot of people as a reprieve for them. And that's like, yeah, maybe it's just me, but like, I, I love that feeling. Like I live off the idea of like, I can positively impact somebody else's life because I know the way that music or sports have impacted my life. So if I can do that in one small way for somebody else, that makes all of this worth it, even if it's unknown. Okay, so, how about th- how about this though? Uh, how has it affected you and your coworkers? For example, the NBA, the NFL draft. Uh, yep. One of the staples of the NFL draft, Todd McShay had COVID or has COVID at this moment. What was yep. it? Has it, has the actual virus affected you guys? Like, have you had to avoid each other and stay? Is he the only one at ESPN? I mean, I don't know if you can talk about all this, but I mean, what, what has that been like with the actual virus affecting your coworkers? Yeah. Doris Burke uh, came out and talked about how she had it from the NBA. Uh, yeah. Todd. So I produced the first draft podcast this year with, with McShay and with Kuiper. Yeah. And um, I knew a, a little bit before it got released that yeah. that Todd was dealing with some stuff. And it's one of those things where it's like the business comes around him and says, what's most important is you. And oh, so wow. don't worry about it. You take care of yourself. You find a way. You know, Zach Lowe, who does so much NBA stuff and he's incredible, was was in the jazz locker room the same week that they think that the uh, Rudy Gobert uh, had like all that stuff go on. And so like he was isolated super early on as a part of that, just to be safe and to make sure that they were good. One of the people that I work with on the ESPN radio affiliate side, um, he got COVID. Oh, man. His story is up on local Connecticut news, but um, he it works on my floor. Him and I have done a bunch of stuff for like yeah. the local ESPN radio stations throughout the U S um, and it, he has got so bad that they put him on a ventilator Whoa. and you know how wow. it is uh, right now with where we're at, where when you go on a ventilator, it's not a good thing. And he was the first person in Connecticut to go on a ventilator and fully recover and be released from the hospital. 
Yeah, they say, and I mean, the ventilator, they say before this pandemic, they, in in medical circles, they talk about ventilators as something that you do to buy time till the family gets there. Like, they're not things uh-huh. that they're usually, I mean, I think it's I'm, something like 15% of people that go on ventilators get off. Like, yep. like just that's the stat. So that, yeah, that's, a, that's insane. Yeah, it was, it's definitely impacted a lot of people in that story really brought it home and made it personal because right. it's like if he can get it any of us can get it like i get it if if mcshay or if if one of these analysts that's like around all these athletes who travel and fly everywhere around the world but like what about just a normal guy in a house here you know what i mean and and it's like it, it comes up so quickly that you know it's i have been lucky that espn has been so fantastic and it's been all about if any anything like that comes up it's like yeah. take care of yourself that's what matters. Forget all the rest of this. You and your health and your family and whatever. If anything comes up, that immediately takes precedence over everything. And I'm sure there's a lot of other businesses that will say that and hopefully follow through with their actions. Uh, but ESPN has been great from that standpoint for it. So, and we're all just, I mean, I leave my house maybe once a week, you know, hopefully less if I can, I try and get you know, two weeks worth of groceries at a time so that I'm going out as little as possible just because, you know, I want to be as safe as I can. But it it's not lost on me that even with our analysts getting it, it's one of those things where you just, it can happen to anybody. So I've got a whole nother line of question and I want to go down oh, that shit. since you have transversed from <laughs> what, if you'll recall... We were talking uh-huh. earlier transversed. about living room, transversed. We're going to a whole new line of questioning, yes. and you transversed. That's right. Holy shit! This, is, this podcast is legit. I don't care, about no da- I don't care what if there's a pandemic or not. We are transversing no, through. No matter. It. That's right. I don't give a shit about no COVID. So you come from the indie world, a punk scene of authenticity and all that stuff. But now you have gone, and you know us, so I feel calibrated to you, all the way into the actual mainstream media. You're a Disney company. You know, sure. ESPN is owned by Disney, and ESPN is definitely part of the mainstream media and yep. all of that stuff. And you've gone from being an intern or whatever to on-air talent, like with an agent that negotiates stuff. And, you know, I, from talking to you a little bit, I love hearing the stories and the things about how your images, the images of the of celebrities are cultivated. I'm not saying it's evil or anything like that, but it's very different than than the authenticity of the punk scene and all that to some degree. And I'm curious, uh, like, what's, what's, what's with all that? <laughs> what's with all that? I'm just what's saying, that? what what's point of view can, that? what's the deal with that? Like, wh- what is it like on the other side of that when, when you actually get up there and you're, you're dealing in, in that, that, that yep. level of thing? It's, like, it's a whole different level. I mean, this is media. I'm a personality, but it ain't the same thing. No, it's not. It's it's awkward. Um I love it. Like I feel so blessed. And and the idea that the idea that I'm something more than just this kid from Michigan that grew up being a, a regular person, like it still doesn't feel real to me with a lot of stuff. Um I I just like you guys like I, I still feel so lucky to get texts from people to be like, "Hey, I just saw you doing this. Like that's so rad. Congratulations on this." Or like, "This is happening," and it's it's so 
amazing to have that happen. Yeah. The part about it that I feel uncomfortable with is like the money side, the negotiating about things, contracts and all that stuff. Like it gets to a point where like the business changes. When I'm just a producer, it's like I work at ESPN and I just, here's your paycheck. You come back every week and you just keep doing it. But when you're talent from that standpoint, it's just like, not just like, but it's like being an athlete where you get put on a contract, your contract lasts for X amount of years. You've got to come back and continually prove that you're worth it for them to, you know, to bring back. And I hate talking about money with, from that standpoint, I don't yeah. mind talking to, to friends or people about money. I don't get awkward about that, but like around my career, it's just like, it's not a comfortable thing to do. And I, that's obviously not outside of the norm. I can imagine you guys walking into tooth and nail. You wouldn't be like, so Brandon Ebel, first record we're going to put out. Let's talk about how much money you're going to give us. Like, do you know how uncomfortable that conversation would be to, yeah. for, you know, to be able to have like, it's, that's the part that I don't love about it, but it's like, shoot, let somebody else handle that. I feel so lucky and blessed. Like I am comfortable with everything that's happening. And, and I just want to be happy doing what it is that I do for as long as I possibly can, which again is no different. I feel like than a band, like you guys just want to be happy doing what you do for as long as you can doing what you love with people that you enjoy doing it with like that the similarities between those two things feel so similar. Okay, I'm not trying to kill you here or anything like that or really put no, you on the spot, it. but I'm asking what I'm asking the same question that people ask about record labels like, well, do they influence your music? Do they tell you what to write and stuff like that. And I know the answer to that in in our case and musically is no, especially on the indie level. But on the other hand, this is a Disney company. What are the types of things that you're allowed to do and not allowed to do? Like do you you don't wear the bad Christian shirt on TV, for instance. Uh, I was asked not to wear the bad Christian shirt on the TV show. I wore it a couple times. Um, and I've still, there've been a couple times where it's been gotten on there, but that is from a corporate standpoint, the idea of like not wanting to push any one religion or ideology onto people that may not have that. And that's just the idea of being more accepting and open more than it is like wanting to choke out what I believe. That's not what it is at all. It's just, you know, you're, if I'm going to be on a show that 4 million people are going to see, why try, why ruffle feathers if you don't have to. Right. And, and so that, and so from that standpoint, it's, you know, it's the same thing with social media where it's like, I don't tweet about politics. I don't talk about politics publicly to anybody. I don't like, there's no upside to it. And like we've seen in the past, you know, Jamel Hill, who used to work for us here at ESPN, like had a whole bunch of stuff go on with the president uh, and that was a big thing in the news, not just the sports world, but Donald Trump versus ESPN and Jamel Hill that like sort of changed the way that we looked at our social media policies. And so from that standpoint, have they told me that you can't post stuff? I mean, even if I could, there's a part of me that's like, what's the, what's the benefit? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the upside here? The, the fallout from saying something is greater than whatever the gain is going to be because I'm not, I don't believe on social media that I'm going to be able to truly influence people to change their mind on a keyboard on the other side of the country. Like that's just mm -hmm. not how that's, it's just not going to happen. So, you know, they're, I mean, it's not worth it though, that. is what you're saying. I mean, everybody has that right. impulse to some degree and you have reason. I mean, you have a contract negotiation coming up 
and with the agent and your boss and you know yep disney involved <laughs> it's yep. just so crazy yeah. though to me just to th- like we came and visited the espn campus which is so awesome i know you've done with august burns red and brought yeah. all the bands there when they come through it's great and you're showing us these billion dollar satellites but, on the roof and but stuff. you guys like, were the wow. first band i brought through just so you know no, no one else oh came through before wow you guys. you guys were ground floor for me wow we broke so. your virginity well, it's just—it's really just weird to brush up against that thing because I know how big that is, and it just freaks me out so much. Because I mean, again, we're making media and we play the music and we do that stuff, and then we go over there with you, and I pass Skip, Skip Bayless in the hall. That was how long ago it was. It was when he was there, but yeah, you know, and you yeah. just you just see all that, and then oh, you're in the crazy, cafeteria right? where they shoot the commercials and all that stuff, and then you see it's a billion dollar communication system up there, and mm-hmm. you know, you hear all this stuff about Disney, and then they say. You know, ESPN's this. Some people think of as liberal arm of the mainstream media, and think all the conspiracies about Disney. But that's you're in that. You're in that. That's yeah. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, also, it's it's so big because here's the other thing. You were given an opportunity. You took full advantage of it. Worked your ass off and did all this stuff. And so the idea that now you would use your platform for you personally. That's the thing I don't necessarily like. Like it feels like. Some people don't want to keep moving moving towards the, the collective goal. And so that's the thing where I, I understand people wanting to have their voice and use their platform. That is totally fine, totally good. But I, I can see sometimes where it's like, wait a minute, damn it. Like, I mean, like, for example, I mean, even with our band, if the, you know, back in the day, our bass player wanted to, to say something really crazy that none of us else had thought about or... And, had had time to even endorse or think about it would be kind of crazy and right. so i think I, i'm 100 for free speech and that's what I, it, it feels as if espn has actually moved towards that even more than other sports networks but i do i i can see that a personal like for example if you were personally to tweet something that went viral about your political beliefs or something like that that does not help people understand sports or get the sports that they want right it does. It, it it's about Daniel. It wouldn't be about sports or whatever. And because you're so associated with that, then all it intrinsically is tied there. But so that means, it, but you're a media personality. I'm saying though, it's interesting. I'm not challenging it. I accept it. But I'm saying it is still profound to me that your own social media. Not that social media is important. Or politics is important. I don't think either of those things are particularly true. It's just that. You represent them now in a way that it didn't used to be, where everything's 360 now. Like you, at all times, including this show today and what we say, actually matters in some. Like your whole part, your whole life, it reflects on this. So that thing that you're saying when you say it might not be worth it for this or that, but that's not just while you're at work. It's you as a person. That's I mean, all the time. Yes, that's. I'm just. I'm just noting that that serious. That that has to be a. Almost exclusively tied. Well, maybe not anymore. I was going to say exclusively tied to entertainment, but if you work at a warehouse that delivers, you know, More, uh, it's getting that it, way too. It, 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 it's all the way around, right? But, but the I, tip of well, the spear is that, yeah. though. Is all I'm saying. But yes, it's true about people looking up your Facebook to hire you to work at FedEx. I mean, that probably happens right. too. But I'm, but, I but mean, I'm saying, like you extreme. and Devin, if if I did a tweet right now that ended Emory, you wouldn't want me to do that, right? But you, you would agree. Hey, just, but the amount of pressure you just from- not tweet that. 
Right. Right? <laughs> Wouldn't you think? Right? Like, right now, I have the opportunity to tweet something that will end our band. I can actually do that. This yep. is real. Well, like, maybe. I can, Good luck. No, I can. <laughs> Trust me. There are some words you can use. I dare you. I there bet are you some can. words that Toby Morrell <laughs> can use to end <laughs> Emory in this instant. You do not I want know, me to use those no, words. No, I know you could. I guess you could. Right? So <laughs> yeah, I, all yeah. I'm saying is I, I can understand it to an extent, especially mm-hmm. when I think, man, what I love about, uh, for example, our small business uh, or our business would be, man, we get to make music. We get to do Are You Listening on Sunday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern. Uh, we get to do all these different things, and I want to keep that going. And so is there – okay, how about this? Is there some context for me being selfish because I have to say the thing that I have to say? Like, or Daniel, like, I mean, Daniel got an opportunity to work for ESPN, worked his ass off, did everything that, you know, went over and beyond. But for him now to use that platform that was helped by ESPN for a personal platform issue, that Mm -hmm. that doesn't seem like, for example, Daniel cannot talk about this, but I will. I love Dan Lebitard. Dan Levitard has been, I mean, him and ESPN have been going at it. And Daniel, you do not have to say anything at whatsoever. But it, over the last, you know, six or seven months, if not more, Dan Levitard has used his platform on ESPN to say things that Dan Levitard wants to say, which I, I can appreciate, I think are valuable. That is good. At the same time, he's at work talking about the things that Dan Levitard wants to talk about, which in, in some ways makes him awesome. And makes him Dan Labatard, and in some ways, I'm like, I, okay, I get it, dude, but shit, I I want to hear your take on the fucking dolphins, yeah. or the, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, uh, uh, tell me about what's going on in sports. I get it, but I actually came here for you to get away from that bullshit, and now you're gonna push this bullshit on me that I don't, I'm trying to get away from. And yes, I will support you because I want you to have free speech and I want you to do all that stuff. But it really feels just a hair selfish when you're like. Dude, can't you just make me laugh about sports? That's what I mean. You're so stay good at it. Stay in your lane, like, dude, bro. I don't stay want. In and, the lane. No, don't say that. I don't want him to stay in his lane. I hate that too. I hate that too. Well, the, think the of fact- it this way: you could piss off or disappoint me and Devin, right? right. You can. Yes. You could actually harm me and Devin. Oh, Daniel I'm going to. <laughs> could really piss off and harm Bob Iger. Oh yeah, Bob Iger could get screwed. You know what I mean? That's the right. difference. <laughs> Chris Berman could be fucked. <laughs> so I'll say this: there is, I am very aware of the idea that, like, as a as a oh, person Bob. whose platform has risen because of the because of the opportunities I've been given at this specific oh. job, that's also not lost on me. Like, I wouldn't be where I am today. In all honesty, if it wasn't for Matthew advocating for me the way that he has. Matthew Barry has helped make my career what it is. And I'll forever be grateful for everything that Matthew has done for me, regardless. Because he's the one that was okay with me being the producer of the podcast. And that led me to me having the relationship with him, which led to me becoming a a TV personality, which led to me being put on a talent contract. And now I have, I did endorsements with IBM for the last two years. I did an endorsement with Sam Adams this last year. Like, revenue and things coming in that I, like... The idea that I can tweet stuff and like that's a part of my income is just you're an in, you me. are a legitimate influencer that takes endorsement money also correct yeah I and I hate to turn <laughs> you say like you're but, embarrassed that's not bad but yeah I'd kill yeah and I like that. I I feel super super 
blessed and privileged to have had those opportunities. And that would have never happened without, without ESPN being there. So if ESPN is like, hey, we would like you to not, ESPN or Disney is like, we don't want you to tweet about politics to everybody. It's like, all right, well, okay. If, if that's, if you want to look at it as though they, they tell me that I can't do a thing, then I get it. That's fine. I just don't look at it that way. Cause it's like, what they've given me is so much more than what they've said. Please don't do this sure. because there's no there's no win for doing it anyways. You know what I mean? Like I I, I have no problem having these conversations in person. And like if you guys and I right. want to talk about politics or we want to talk about a thing, of course I'll talk about it with people that are important to me or my family or relationships. But it does it doesn't do any good. I'm talking into an endless vacuum of just cynicism if I just do it on on Twitter where it's just going to be an argument. All I'm doing it. It's either going to be a masturbatory thing where I just want likes and retweets and I want people right. to see how smart I am, mm-hmm. or it's going to be, I just want to fight with people and now cause discord. And why do I want, like, nothing about me wants to cause discord. The whole point of what I'm doing is to be able to help bring people together. Mm-hmm. So use your, use your platform, yeah. bro. Come on. Well, and that's it. So like, I've, I've done that and I know, you know, I, there's <laughs> an organization, whether you, whether everyone likes it or not called to write love in our arms. And I love the idea of advocating for mental health awareness, um, you know, depression and anxiety and all those things. And, and st- like, that's a huge problem in, in society right now. So to be able to, even if it's just wear a t-shirt and have that person be like, you know, Hey Daniel, I saw this and it means a lot. Like, thank you right. so much for like advocating for an industry or for a company or a nonprofit that like has meant so much to me personally, like that means so much more to me than being like, Hey, let me tweet this thing about whatever I do or don't feel about the president or the vice president or whatever. Okay. Back to sports. Sorry. I was just going to say real quick. It's It's a little silly and selfish of people to expect people, influencers or people with a quote unquote platform to do that. All, all they're really saying is I want you to do, something that benefits me mm-hmm. not they're mm-hmm. not they're not saying they want you to do anything that actually makes a difference or anything like that if that was the case they would just want you to go help people who needed help behind closed doors or give money where they needed right. money not just broadcast an opinion that doesn't like you're saying that does nothing right. so it's like the whole idea of use your platform which we've experienced over the years as well as like why wouldn't you talk about jesus from stage or whatever it's right. just right. it's a silly selfish uh requests from these people who just have an agenda of their own. Well, for example, at an Emory show, if we say what I learned really early on was, and this is kind of going back to what you were saying, Daniel, if I talk about God from stage, all it does is get the people that care about God to cheer. And the other people are like, shit, man, I just want to hear that fucking ponytail parades. (laughs) Like, what what am I doing to them? Like, what am I doing to them? Segregation. In your own audience, right. and you created that divide. No right. one created it but you, because you're right. the one that brought it up. So why would you do that? And and then I still feel totally free after the show or whatever in my personal time to go, hey, if somebody asks me a question about what I believe or what I think or whatever, of course. I'll, I'll talk to them. But anyway, this is we're, we're off the spot. Matt, yeah. Matt you, you're trying to get it back to sports now? Yes, yes. I want to go back to sports if y'all don't mind going a little bit long here. I'm enjoying okay. it. Um, okay. So... I'm listening to sports. I'm scanning around. I don't know all the sportscasters. I don't follow everything, but I find no. one thing curious right now, and I'm, I, I would like to make take a slightly different take than I'm hearing from all the sportscasters. Okay. My favorite sportscaster, or one of my favorite communicators, is Clay Travis. I think he is great. 
I love Clay Travis. I know a lot of people don't, but the way he He's not does, with ESPN, Daniel he's can't not say with yes ESPN. or no. <laughs> um he he takes shots at ESPN, whatever. But I I like Clay as a communicator and what he does and his takes are always really smart. But it, I mean, I'm just saying the fact that that the people in media and these people have takes all the way, Skip Bayless is probably the originator of having some extreme personality and using it to make these takes and stuff like that. And they all do that. And so they always have vested interests in their takes. That's the thing I noticed about them. But I take yeah. them for what they are, and that's totally fine. So when I say I like Clay Travis, I understand the art form that he is engaged in, and I really like it. Now, he's super positive on sports, and you've got to bring sports back, and we're bringing sports back, and it's going to come roaring back. And that's really common. In fact, these sports guys all make their bank off trying to find the nuanced take. I find they all are looking for that angle that they can hold and carve out. Is that accurate so far? It doesn't seem not accurate. Not that, not that you're, not that you're not looking for your own take. But yes, you're trying to find in your yes. own voice the in way your that you own. Break, yeah. yeah. But, you know, they can get absurd sometimes, is what I'm saying. But they have a vested interest in their what they're doing. Like, do you really believe that? And they always have to say, no, I deeply believe. You know, they have to reiterate that. And I, I imagine right. that's largely true, but they convince themselves into some extreme positions sometimes. Anyway, in this particular case, it seems that all sportscasters have a take and vested interest in the return of sports. And I'm not hearing any sportscasters having negative takes or concern takes or worried takes on the coming back of sports. Are you aware of anybody make that has that take? And if so, why not? Once the, once the world gets back to normal, quote unquote, and we are hopefully on the other side of this, um, I feel like sports as an entity is too large and too important to society for it to not eventually return to what it was. Not that it's going to necessarily be exactly the same, but I think any variance will be much smaller than it would be really big. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's going to be large changing shifts in the way that the NBA or the NFL or anything like that operates. I think it, there will be some pain points in the short term, yeah. and some things will change from that, the way that we look at, you know, doing remote stuff and whatnot, but it's not going to be the same that it, it was before. I understand that, and I would call that the standard Adam take. Adam Schefter moment <laughs> with the I, dog barking. I, I would call that the standard take, though. But what I'm asking is why, in these uncertain times, is there no yep. take where there's a skeptic? Why is n- there's not one sportscaster out there going, this might fundamentally change a lot? Well, I think part of it is because we have seen through strikes and through, like, we had replacement officials in the NFL. Mm-hmm. We had, uh, you know, we've had situations where you had players that, like, were thinking about just not playing, and we were going to, like, and sports have as always just eventually picked right back up where it left mm-hmm. off. What is it about this situation, other than the human-to-human contact, is there something specific to this pandemic that you feel like is different than any other situation that we've been in that will impact sports, let's say, in the in the future? What I think why so, do you yes. Think, <laughs> I mean, that, me that's just that me, and I'm crazy. I'm saying, first of all, I'm asking Toby, Devin, all y'all, are you aware of anybody, is that, you know? I think in the beginning, yes. Like somebody like Bill Simmons was taught, was very overwhelmed and said sports isn't coming back, and he said, mm-hmm. you know, just recently said he was kind of freaking out, and now it's looking more realistic, mm-hmm. but... I'm worried about sports in the sense of 
the way we watch it maybe is for potentially ever forever changed because yes. like the draft was the most watched and you're like wait a minute this was really cool and do i need to go to that college football game i, I mean like for for example uh, in fact like alabama for i think at least one year if not uh, two or three years probably their attendance by students has been way down like it's not been they've not been as interested because they won so much and all mm-hmm. stuff but i mean when you think about alabama legacy biggest football you know team in college sports basically of course and and, yeah. and i'm wondering yep. like i what i am wondering is the gathering of people to watch sports are we going to go wait a minute i will gather with five friends that i know and trust who uh, that are breathing uh air that i can trust and maybe i'll just do that from now on and i'll have a i'll get a instead of buying a 300 dollars ticket i'll get a three thousand mm-hmm. dollar tv we were already there, though, weren't we? Like, haven't hasn't our society already shifted toward the idea of like I would rather watch it football from my couch because I can hear announcers and I can watch replays rather than sure, spend right? all the money on. But, you know, but so, like, maybe they sped it up. It might have sped this it up. This might push right. it over the edge for sure. Like I, that part could have a, a lasting effect. Like, on like the for industry, example, but, d- I think d- were... but but don't you think like uh, how about this sports journalism? Is it not forever changed? Uh-huh. Didn't a lot of those people lose their jobs? I mean, didn't uh-huh. didn't like a lot. I mean, how many sports journalists covering uh, the uh, Warriors? You know, the basketball team, the Warriors, and uh, I mean, they're not playing, and they're uh, why they're not even. You know, yeah. they they lost some members and all this, but they're gone. Those people yep. are fired, right? Like they're they're scrambling for new jobs, and maybe they'll find them somewhere or whatever. And I, I mean, I, I know you can't speculate or know, but I mean, I bet ESPN, Disney, all those. I mean, Disney's probably laying off people and doing stuff. And I mean, I don't know if those jobs will come back. Maybe they will be like, uh, I'm a huge fan of Colin Coward. He used to be on ESPN and he's reporting a lot that his numbers have been up and better. And I think a lot of the sports shows have been better, but that is because of the time that we live in, but maybe they'll skip all the money for the set and the extra stuff. And it's going to be, less like maybe there'll be Colin's a personality and personality ain't going away so I'm I'm suggesting sports place in American culture may be in a big shift is what I'm suggesting now how about this will a sport go 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 away will a sport go away for example college baseball is it going to come back strong college uh, lacrosse swimming like I'm serious like those those sports. What about women's volleyball in college? Does it make much money? Is it, have we been able no, to actually money. support it? I know. So are, they, are people going to go? Sorry, all that's those gone. sports lose money. I mean, you know, they're, right. they're paying but, by football. So if I if, can't imagine, if football though. doesn't make as much money with fans right. and the uh, the money, all those other sports are gone, and it re- it really will change the way we, we view things. So I I think the only way that it, it would change things in a way that would seriously impact society is the idea of people consuming less of that specific sport. And if you already weren't consuming lacrosse on TV, that sport was played for passion and for the people that care about lacrosse, which is a very niche market. So like, I don't think that sport is going to change because that niche market is still going to feel the same way about lacrosse that it did before. No, but Dan- but Daniel, that 
niche market for lacrosse at LSU was supported by LSU football. And if LSU football loses millions of dollars, lacrosse don't come back. It's not go, goes away. Look, I, let me tell you what. I'll give you my brief argument here on on some factors that might spell trouble for sports. Can you and list this, them? Can you list them numerically? I'm write them down. Okay, you yeah, can write get, these yeah. down, and you Number can pass three. them the chain. Go count down. Yes. Number three. No, I don't know if I have them in the list exactly. I want to like do it that, like a sports segment. <laughs> number yes, one, exactly. uh, number ten. Top Matt's top ten reasons why sports are over. <laughs> no, no. Okay, so first of all, this is what I hope doesn't happen. I like sports. <laughs> Thanks for that disclaimer. Okay, man. Oh, this, oh, right. oh, oh I like God. Sports. I well, I, I mean, I, was, I get I taken the wrong way there. sometimes. So let Matt me just say, <laughs> I've, I've tried to help church before because I like God, and people think I'm the devil. So let me be careful as I can when I go after somebody's sacred cow and say we're post sports now. Sports right. is dead. That's not what I'm saying. That's fair. Okay. okay. I hope sports ain't dead, but it might be in trouble. But it's what, but it's in trouble as we know it. I'm saying there may be some fundamental shifts, and what are the important parts about sports that will last, and what are the parts that might not? And I think it could have some big impacts. But I think sports matters most because of the realness of it. It's competitive. It's actually a meritocracy where there is competition and there's no bullshit. And if you make the play, you do it. Like that value and the fact that sports is live and there's drama and narrative in it ain't ever going anywhere ever, ever, ever. That is untouchable part of society. But all the rest, I don't necessarily, I think it's kind of up for grabs. And so... I'm I'm getting this all. I'm still channeling way too much from this, probably. But I'm just saying, with the like I said earlier, the late night shows and the stuff. When yep. all the stuff is stripped away, when the magic is revealed to not be there, stuff can actually be lost. Like, oh, we didn't need that. What was that about? Why did we go to this? How, you know, you start mm-hmm. to some things are revealed that may maybe weren't as important as they were. So, first of all, you've seen the NFL be under scrutiny for years and years. Like, it's going to go down, or what about concussions? What about all this stuff? And with the right. corona. We see it speeding things up. So you've also seen, and especially here in Seattle, I know a bunch of friends that don't watch sports anymore because for some reason they think it's like for dumb rednecks and they would like to be better than it. And you know what? A lot of those people, and then they like soccer and the stuff, but they're not really sports fans. They don't like the drama and the intensity. They just like the, the team and their tradition. But if that spell is broken and they're already leaving that and not supporting it, I think that can accelerate. I think you can lose, instead of being everybody shared interest we've have a more fractured society and so i think a lot of people that used to support sports because it's just what was happening they have more and more things to support and it's seen more and more as like a i don't think it's a right-wing thing but you know what i'm saying there's the, the there's the different there's the little bit of class divide on on how they see sports and stuff like that and a lot of it's based in tradition like when well, you go there and you rub the rock and you do i mean this whole sports thing's about the tradition and the stadium and all that stuff so maybe it goes more digital and you play but what's it really like if they have the next two football seasons with no fans in the crowd i mean or next this one season or something if there's no fans there which they're not going to be full stadiums in september i just there's not going to be i don't think and if so that the energy's gone. It's like the the late show without an audience. You're like, well, whatever was this then? Like, it's like practice. Like, will it will it look different on the broadcast? Because it ha- it would have I mean, to, right? Is home field advantage real? And the, again, the tradition's important. So, like the baseball divisions now, they're not even going to play the same divisions. They're going to play in other cities. Will that break the magic a little bit? And it 
You know, it, it just. But is tradition important? Like, do you does like I, tradition feels like one of those things that is like it? It feels like a sacred cow when it when it's the conversation of we've always done it this way, so we have to keep doing it this way. And it's important to me because like there are unwritten rules of like this is the way it's been. Like, great, some traditions you want to keep, but some traditions are like. Let's look at the antiquated systems that we're currently using and find, like, now you're forced to find new ways to be able to look at it. You know, mm-hmm. you're forced to find new ways. You're right. I don't know when you play a game in, a, in an arena or in a high school gym or wherever they start playing NBA games from, home court advantage isn't going to be a thing. It's going to be watching, like, watching the summer league, right? It's basically just going to be coaches and mm-hmm. players, and that's it. But is that going to change the way that you, as a sports fan, who is just desperately waiting for something to come back so you can root something but maybe something different but maybe something different because if i'm watching march madness and or i'm watching a duke game and the cameron crazies are there i know what that feels like i've been to one Uh of those before and if it's not there even in the broadcast you know i didn't watch as much march madness last year maybe i really watched less (laughs) next year if it's not there's not even an energy that i can't even imagine being tethered that might feel more different than anybody's saying Uh, i think I, i think i disagree with with you a little bit because i just think that like you said i agree that there's different classes of people who like sports so it almost feels like a blue collar class Mm -hmm. a little bit you know like that that type of uh, a person that's still around in our country, the, the, my dad's generation, my older brother's generation, you know, like that whole thing, they're still there. They're still like, you know, rabid sports fans. And I think they will come back maybe even stronger than before now, yeah, but that's do, less people though. I do agree that the up and coming generations are just generally less interested in sports, yes. but I think that's happening regardless. And maybe it's COVID speeding it up. Yes. Mm-hmm. But I think that's going to happen regardless over time. But I think immediately following all this, once everybody's a little less freaked out about social distancing and it becomes less of a thing, maybe, maybe even a two years from now, I don't know how long, but I think, Stadiums will be full again. I think people will be freaking out about going to professional football game, college football games, all this stuff. Think about it. If one year from now or two years from now, whatever, however long it takes, Clemson's in the national championship again and you get free tickets to the game. Yeah, I'm not denying that. No, just just imagine that you are at that game with 80,000, 90,000 It'll be more meaningful. I agree. It will be unbelievable. More so. The energy will be more than it has been in the past. Yes, I agree with that. I do think that that is going to impact people eventually. I just don't know when that's going to come back. I'm more talking about the idea that even if you can just get it back and put it on TV, if there's no crowd there. I think there's a magic that's lo- that's lost, and then it's hard that for the peripheral person. I'm not talking about the dedicated people or sure. even people like me. I, yes, it would be, if you choose to go to a sporting event and it happens and you're there, oh my gosh, it might it'll mean maybe more than ever. But the total industry, I mean, it's it might sure. just be way different. I mean, for instance, esports <laughs> is prime to come in here. I mean, look at MTV mm-hmm. for instance. They eventually did less music. I mean, they just there's still music. People do it. Just change, just different. I mean, sure. like you you say, oh, Colin shows up. Right. He's a personality with takes, and there's no sports, and it shows up. What does that mean? That means mm-hmm. something. He he shows up without sports, so. I feel that as big shifts possible, like fundamental. Think, sure, sure. I think, I think though, 
you are on to something that I, you know, in thinking about it. So this last dance documentary that's out right now, right? About Michael Jordan uh, and the Chicago Bulls. Imagine Michael Jordan hitting that shot over Craig Elo in the in the conference finals. And rather than seeing and hearing the crowd lose their mind as a part of that broadcast, it's just dead silence in the gym. You're right. Scrimmage. That's going to change the scrimmage. way that I will, I will yes. consume the sport because even if I'm losing my mind, right. the way that it's coming to me is completely different. And there is a like, there's going to have to be a way where we find ways to be able to adapt and not make it feel like that. And I'm not saying this is a totally ridiculous thing, but if you've seen the Black Mirror episode where they bring contestants on and basically everyone has their little we characters or their me people watching this thing. Does a stadium get filled like that? Do you have ways where like it's people's avatars as they're watching it from their seats? Are you buying a mm-hmm. ticket? You know, do they put little cameras like I have in All my right. MacBook right here into seats and I can buy a ticket that will give me that thing that will follow the action here and there. And you know what I mean? Like it's there's I'm sure there are ways or things that could change from that standpoint. It seems crazy that I would I would buy a ticket to be able to watch it differently than just like, hey, ESPN's got this game, just watch it on ESPN. But you know what I mean? Like there's there's going to have to be a shift with the way that it's consumed if we're not able to have large groups of people, especially here in 2020 in the fall. And the last thing I have to say about it is just that it's also generational. So if you look at golf, I mean, golf ain't, mm-hmm. there's not a new generation getting into golf like I did. This ain't happening. It's seen as a decadent boomer, whatever. You can fill in the blank. Yeah. And baseball's similar. Right. Right. So is football not on that line? How is that not the next one on that on that bubble? And then the esports come in and it's just different. But there's there's a real big difference. Golf and baseball do not have a mega personality. And baseball in particular kind of feels like it shut that down. But when you think about golf, why did it get so big? Tiger Woods, larger than life, unbelievable. Why did boxing uh, grow again with Mike Tyson from Muhammad Ali? I mean, it was a lull, and now the, there's another lull, and now you have uh, you know Tyson Fury and uh, the the other folks that are Wilder. Uh, yeah, yeah, Wilder. Yeah. Um, and so there's some real things there. I'm saying it right now. The the best baseball player is Mike Trout, and he's just not that interesting. He's kind of a just a normal whatever guy. He's great, he's phenomenal, so awesome. But you need like a Baker Mayfield type person in the in the uh, uh, baseball, but actually good. And yeah. if you had that, so it still goes back those to personality. The, the millennial and below, and their kids are just those personalities are probably going to do but other like, things. Yeah, but but like even like with golf right now, the best guy is uh, what's his face? What's that guy's name? Um, Jordan Spieth? No. Payne well, Stewart. No, no, no. The, the big muscle <laughs> the big, guy. The big dude, yeah. Uh, uh, what's his name? I can't think of his name. Does he have a K? His last name start with a K? Uh, yeah. He's won a lot of terms this year. Yeah, he's amazing. Kuchar. He's just not yeah. that interesting. He's just tough. You know, he's kind of a big guy, serious, and he's killer, but he's no tiger. He doesn't have much personality. And anybody that had much personality not hasn't really done anything. And so right now, I'm, I do think, I will say this. Right now, for example, take golf. If there was just an unbelievable personality that came along and was kicking it like a John Daly, but really good, oh shit, it's back. It's back that quickly. But golf is one of those sports right now that because it's a singular event, like you could air golf right now and I would watch it because I just want competition. Just let me see somebody trying to be better than someone else. 
success, so underdog, that, like, all that's gonna stay. You could have one professional at a tee, and a, a, you know everyone keeps their distance. And it's like if cameras are set up, you could totally air golf right now by itself. When you look at baseball, I don't know. I don't know with how slow that game is, and when you play it without anybody there, and right. the idea that it's it's just it's a sport that feels like it is still. It has never evolved like the rest. The NBA evolved, right. and it went through some shifts that were, you know, David Stern did a lot to be able to make it more mainstream, and especially, uh, you know, with different different aspects of that game. It's very obvious that society has adapted and and brought it as in as a part of of their culture. And why is golf? Not like that. Like, there's just not the same love right. or excitement around golf. Mm-hmm. Well, there Baseball was with Tiger same. Woods. There was that's pretty course. anomaly. I mean, I mean that's but, what I'm saying. The guy's name is Brooks Kepka. He's amazing. Kepka. But but what I'm saying is, if there was somebody, I I, I uh, got that, and the ESPN guy did not know that name. But uh, we'll move <laughs> we'll move right along. I'm I'm just, I'm just a humble podcaster. Balls but. deep in fantasy content. Okay. The draft, so I I, I t- okay. How about that? I would say that fantasy sports. In itself, being as the phenomenon that it is, is actually somewhat of a negative sign about the, uh, let's just go ahead and call them legacy sports at this point. <laughs> legacy sports. I mean, the fantasy is more engaging than the, I mean, you know that's true. That you're just at 150 million downloads in the interactive millennial game that you play on your phone where you get to be interactive. Not the thing where you watch the old people play the thing without the crowd that, what? What? Mm-hmm. It, it might not ever yep. make as much sense again, even if the crowds kind of come back or whatever. Distance. I don't know what this. Yeah, is. but well, it's based yeah. on the legacy, right? I now. know. I'm not. Yeah. I mean, eventually it has to stand on its own two feet. You know. The, mm-hmm. the good thing about the fantasy sports too, though, is it actually makes you care about the other teams. Like I'm a huge right. Green Bay because Packers that's fan. That's what you need. And I something I to make you care, care about it. You would, need something to make you care know, about but, but it. That's I do a care, signal. But, but with, if fantasy sports went away, I would still care about Green Bay Packers or Clinton gambling Tigers and or fantasy. Like. All these other but, layers to add meaning to the thing yeah. that's going to be harder well, and harder I will, I will to make say sense. This. The the uh, Daniel the uh, Last Dance documentary is just so phenomenal. Yeah, that's I, I, could, I couldn't. I mean, I was cheer. My wife loves it. I mean, everybody. Eighties basketball. But, <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Okay, amazing, get out of here. But but I'm saying there's a something about it that is just I mean you're right the nostalgia of it but Dude. just but what I'm saying that whole movie really is driven and lots of the NBA is still uh, benefiting from Michael Jordan's personality he was just mm-hmm. relentless he was mean he was tough I mean the, the next episodes I'm sure are going to show even worse stuff about him and I'm saying right now like LeBron's such a nice guy and he's so good but if LeBron was a little meaner. And like get to your spot and, and a little more Jordan, people would love it more. And, and I'm saying that personality, Tiger, cussed and made people mad. And they, they yeah. ah, God, he's disrespecting the game. We're like, uh, remember Ricky Henderson flipping his bat in baseball? And it was like, it's the greatest yeah. time ever. I mean, the the I hate the, 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 the the people were doing uh, steroids, and it actually helped baseball. And and I'm just saying, there's some personality. There's a personality yeah. that's missing right now in sports, and it's probably we. I mean, we've just. We probably kind of cut cut them off at the nuts a little bit, and in some ways, and not let them be have the personality. We don't people don't want personality anymore. They want the uh, social well, justice. Well, what warrior, is personality, good Toby? Person. Because that's here's the question: How is that? How is LeBron James any different from me? When it's like, hey, I want to go out and talk about this thing. Well, guess what, LeBron? Like, 
you're a member of the Los Angeles Lakers and anything you say is going to reflect on the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, he has way more ability to be able to do things like that. But I, like, I, there's a part of me... There's a part of me that just feels like sports have been around for so long. They're, they've evolved and changed through yeah. war and through genocide and with Olympics and through racism mm -hmm. and through so many things that like our world has thrown at it. And right. every time it has continued to be a unifying factor for yes. people regardless and it will of what's be. happening. It will be. I, that's what I'm saying. I do not want to be lumped into saying that it oh, won't be. Right. I, when the I'm World Cup comes and the whole world is paying attention to the same thing, this irreplaceable and the drama and the con, all that. I'm just saying, same with music. It doesn't matter if you, Spotify goes off or downloading happens. Music ain't ever going anywhere. Going away. But the question yeah. is, what is fundamental about sports and music that cannot change and what can't? That's the that's just a real question, and it's not. I mean, there's a lot of things that can change that you don't think they can, but oh yeah, they can without it but, going away. But that's what. But, but my point is adding adding to all of this is that we cannot. Why why are we trying to force our sports entertainment, our sports uh, casters, our sports journalism, and our sports our, our athletes to speak about the all of these things and expect them to be the the heroes and the people we look up to as opposed to, for example, just, I mean, what was it? Six months ago that LeBron stumbling over his words about China and talking about, it can't even hurt. But what the truth is LeBron doesn't want his money to get messed with. And China is a big supporter of the NBA. And so, uh, um, what, what's the guys, what's the GM from Houston's name? Um, uh, Morley. Yeah. Uh, yeah. no. Daryl Morley. Sam. Morley. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, he writes about Hong Kong and then everybody is all, you know, I, I would have respected LeBron way more if he's like, damn it. This is our money. It's how we all get paid. We'll figure it out. But I mean, we, we got to work this out. Okay. I can understand that. I need to get paid. I need to do all this money. Now, flashback, Michael Jordan. Hey, man, what, you know, what about your shoes? And he says, Republicans buy shoes too. And he just looks at everybody. And you're like, oh, shit. He, he, he doesn't give a shit. He's yeah. going to be authentic no matter who the fuck questions his, him or who he is or anything. And I just wish our sports were a little bit more authentic because it does feel like sports is being used as the platform to say something about everything. And I don't need that. I want to have my hero. I want to have the I, I, LeBron. An authentic I, one. Yeah. I actually believe LeBron might be the best basketball player I've ever seen. And that is, I can't believe it. I used to like Kobe more than him, and I definitely like Jordan more than him. But LeBron can do so much amazing stuff that I, I just can't believe it. And as a person in the community, I can't believe it. I mean, he's a better person than Jordan. He is. But there are times where I feel like LeBron isn't being authentic, and I wish he was. I wish he was a little bit like, man, uh, you know, like really come at some players that shit, uh, shit the bed or did some stuff. And I don't think that's the case. And so what I'm hoping, I mean, what, what would be great is if all these sports came back and they were real and it was about sports and that you could actually see the people and we didn't just beat them down or kick them out or whatever it was going to be. But I don't know. We, we're off topic now. How long have we done that, this podcast? When, Good God. <laughs> when you said, when you said uh, Republicans buy shoes too, Toby, did that quote just come out of, because you knew that Michael had said it, or pull, did that come from somewhere recently? I pulled it up. No, yeah, I heard that a long time ago. Yeah, I've known okay. that quote for a long time. Why? What are you trying to do? Trying to bust me or something? Like, I, what? 
Spoiler alert for episode five of uh, The Last Dance, which Ooh. is going to come out on oh, Sunday nice. at nice. 9 p.m. on E1. Toby's right right after Are You Listening, the Emory Streamo <laughs> yes, Show. Yes. Wow. Interesting. Perfect timing. Amazing. You can go straight from Are You Listening, Emory Streamo Show at 7 p.m. Eastern into The Last Dance of Michael Jordan. And apparently you're going to give a spoiler alert right now. No, I'm he's saying that you are all over the, what's the on the next episode. He's saying oh, you're you're all yes. over. Yeah. He's saying that what oh. you just said is what's going to be in that damn episode. So you're on mm. point. Is the point? Is it going to make me look bad? No, it's going to make you look good. <laughs> for, that Republican wears shoes I, things. He means. I'll say this: I hated Michael Jordan and still do hate Michael Jordan as a Pistons fan. I just grew up where like mm. you hate Chicago, you hate the Bulls. But like I've always been able to say, I think he's the greatest basketball player in the NBA, and we can have that debate of of who sure. the greatest is. But like sure. easily one of the greatest. This story, um, in talking with the director uh, Jason Ayer, like this story has humanized Michael in a way that has made me appreciate him as a fan, even though I don't want to, and I hate that that icy heart of mine about Michael Jordan is melting through this documentary <laughs> because it is it that. is a phenomenal even it, if you're not a sports fan amazing. it is just so incredible from a storytelling perspective that I last mean, I episode with yeah. the pistons it sure oh, didn't make them oh. look that good it was great no. it i was, remember watching was, those games so and i i grew up just uh, just in awe of jordan he's my favorite yeah. ever still is <clears throat> we can have the whole goat debate but we know who the, the real goat is but okay. but here's the thing I think it's even cool because I idolized him so much growing up and now watching it, like seeing even deeper, like darker, like real right. stuff, it makes me like him more. I like him more. Like yeah, it doesn't I make know. me like him less. It makes me like him more. So anyway, that's just the I, drive I and the energy and the will to win. Like I, I, no joke. Walter White. That's all I, you I, like. I, I, yeah. It's, it really is almost like that. Like when I saw him, when he finally won and he broke down and it was like, this is real. Like yeah. this is this is not uh, this is he accomplished something that he always dreamed of, and for him to oh, break yeah. down when he won when they won the championship against the Lakers, I was like, oh my gosh! And the way a lot of the other uh, basketball players talk about him, they're just like, yeah, I mean, this is they they can't like deny it. And, right. I, and mm-hmm. I mean, I know him and Isaiah Thomas had a real rough shot, and that was bad. I w- that's what I'm saying. I wish Isaiah Isaiah Thomas would have gone. I'm not going to shake their hand. Who gives a shit what Jordan thinks? That wouldn't wouldn't you like Isaiah Thomas' legacy? Wouldn't it be better? But he's he's you know he's trying to kind of protect his image and look like the nice guy. And he I mean he seems like a a super charismatic, awesome, brilliant person. Isaiah Thomas, uh, uh, point guard, uh, maybe the best point guard ever, right? Like it, it, he, he, in the conversation of one of the best point guards ever. And that bad boy Pistons the, team was yeah. unbelievable, but they didn't come off looking good. I wish they would have been still bad boys. I wish they'd have gone. Yeah, shaking your damn hand. Who gives a shit? Y'all beat us. I don't give a shit. <laughs> the idea that Isaiah Thomas, one of the greatest 50 NBA players of all time and has donated millions of dollars to charity and helping other people and everything he's done within the game is now having to defend himself because 25 years ago, he didn't want to shake Michael Jordan's hand after they lost a basketball game. <laughs> right. Like, have you ever thought of like, how ridiculous right. is that? Like, right. poor guy. And- but the funniest thing was he said, "Hey, honestly, back then we didn't shake hands." And I was like, what? Do it. "Come on, everybody!" <laughs> say, that's the that's the number one thing you're taught when you're terrible at good any game, sport game, as a good kid. Game. Good game, good game. Mm-hmm. You got to look the person in the eye. They beat your ass or whatever. But that's what I'm saying. I wish the bad the bad boy pissed. I mean, 
going back, thinking I was, I was telling Jess, I was like, wait, you're gonna see Bill Lambeer with that clear mask on his face, yeah. and it, I mean, uh-huh. I just, I oh, mean, I love that mask. How great was it? That there was a real villain, and the Pistons were villains, mm-hmm. and like you were like, oh my god, they're so good, they're gonna, and they kept beat, they beat Jordan. I mean, he couldn't oh, yeah. get past them. So, so I'm, this is a great a great thing to be able to transition into with just, and just to be short about it, but like when there's not live sports, being able to do these documentaries that people have passionate feelings on of like things in history where it's like, yeah. I remember where I was when that happened, or that was important to me. And I would sit down and consume, you know, eight hours of that if I could. And so I think at least in the short term, there are a lot of people, you know, there was a documentary I know that was uh, uh, for filming the final season of Kobe. And now, like, with all this happening, the question is, like, are they going to try and push it up to be able to get it out earlier because now it would be a, a time for it? Or are they going to wait? And So, like, I think as a as a bridge until we get to sports, you're going to see, see a lot more of these major industry players trying to do more of what ESPN right. just did with The Last Dance. to Because it's how, right now, that's the only way that we're engaging. We're talking about a player and games that literally happened over 30 years ago. And, and this conversation has been going on because of that. Right. It doesn't make me feel like sports don't exist right now. It, it just it, makes okay. me feel like we're talking no, about a different thing. But just like MTV moved from just playing the music videos to more deeper programming, the only thing I'm hearing y'all say about sports right now is is basically in the realm of my point that sports is about narrative. That's all we're talking about, the narrative. The narr- so maybe, that, sure, maybe yeah. that will exceed the ratings of some regular season baseball game or college basketball game at some point. And it's like, oh... We do narrative documentaries about the stories of sports. Maybe that's yeah. more dominant as we go. Yeah, is yeah. The car- all all right. we've been talking about is not stats, if you'll pay attention here. We all like sports, and we're ta- not talking about stats. We're talking about villains. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. So, um, pay yeah. t- I'm interested in that territory. It's not a shot at sports. I love them. I hope they're back. Daniel, thank you for spending so long with us today. This has been yeah, great. This is a yeah. long ass podcast. It's been amazing. Do you guys mind if I, <laughs> if I just ask one really quick music question to you guys? Oh Lord, sure, I guess. It's just one real fast one. All right, when you guys were writing, what's Define your favorite song? Line, which is an incredible <laughs> record, by the way. Oh, it's, Wait, it's what? one of my what's, favorite. What record? Uh, Define the Great Line. You guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. Was that not? Hey, Come have on. you listened to our? Have you listened to our new album yet? And if so, why haven't you said anything? I have listened to the new record. Uh, I'll tell you what. I'm a huge... I texted Josh about this. Oh, uh, cool. Love, yeah, Josh. All right. Calm down. Uh, I loved <laughs> I loved the 238 and Clarity reference in the... Like, regulating regulate the chemicals yep. in the 238. Yep. Like, I, I immediately was like, this is amazing, adding Clarity in there. I thought Now What was a killer single. I love that song. It is fantastic. Um, well, I'm but... stoked on the new record. There's no but. I mean, oh, but I thought, Toby I thought I heard it, a butt you. coming. Yeah, mm. I mean, it was a Toby song. Man, I yeah. love I love Fox Sports. Of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Daniel. Thanks, man. Thank you, guys. Hi from Vancouver Island, off the west coast of BC in Canada. My name is Kara. And I've been part of the club since October 2018. I joined because I was curious and I didn't really have any real experience with online community or have any idea what I should expect. And so I joined. It was cool. The thing that I liked about it, I still like about it, is you can kind of participate as much or as little as you have time for or you want to. And it's this fully formed, fully functioning community where there's like a thousand subgroups hundreds of people to talk to about these topics that are really hard to find places to have conversations about them otherwise. 
And so I ended up going to con and meeting some of these friends that I'd made. And now I spend a lot of my time talking to and building relationships with people in the club. It's wild how little I expected it and how well it turned out. Now what? You put your two feet in and you sunk everything on the first words you heard about leaving. 